Hey everybody, this is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast coming to you from uh, cold, cold Southern Indiana. Uh, temperature's been rising all day and it's up to 30 now. Um, if you just run into the podcast, uh, it's primarily 12-step recovery. Uh, I do have some other content now and again that uh, that veers from that, but most of it is all has to do with what I, my definition of recovery, which is uh, to, to find that which was lost or stolen. And uh, frankly, I, my soul, my very uh, essence was stolen from me for various things and uh, recovery, just like it said, just like if I was going to recover a lost vehicle, uh, I recovered my true self. 12-Step Spiritual Recovery is a book by James Christopher Cohn is the 12 Steps for Everyone. Uh, if you're currently in a 12-Step program, in the 12-Step Fellowship of any sort, it may be another angle, maybe a deeper dive for you. Um if you're not, if you don't qualify, if you don't have the isms and you don't qualify technically for a 12-step fellowship, uh, this this TSSR movement is for you. No longer do you have to be an alcoholic, an addict, a gambler, an uh, overeater, uh, one of the other 100 different uh, fellowships using the 12 steps. Uh, we've invented one that's for just everybody. Um so it's 12-step spiritual recovery. We have meetings here in Louisville, both Zoom and in person. And uh, there's a website, 12stepspiritualrecovery.com, that has that information. And, of course, as always, you can contact me, and I will hook you up with that. Uh, I want to thank Darren Frank for his music that I continually get to uh, use here for my intro and outro and to wrap it around this podcast. I've uh, been seeing a lot of Darren here lately, and that's a good thing. And uh, of course, if y'all listening, uh, you know, he's uh, been the, he's been the guest the last two shows. Uh, ramping back up again. Sometimes it's life is ebbs and flows, you know, and uh, I try not to get too hung up on either side of it when it's ebbing or flowing and just uh, try to try to stay in the middle someplace. Um, so, I got a new friend here tonight uh, named Brian. Uh, I'll tell you, I always usually tell how I meet him. You know, here's how I met Brian. Uh, Darren had a Facebook page called Spiritual Underground, and uh, he was posting stuff on it and keeping it alive. And uh, when I started this podcast, I asked him if it was okay if I started promoting the podcast on this, on that Facebook page. And it just seemed, you know, the name was the same. And uh of course he said yeah and he made me an admin and then i think since then i i believe he's gotten off of it himself so it just ended up being mine so i use it to promote the podcast there's a face by the way there's a facebook page and an instagram uh for the spiritual underground podcast you can uh check out if you will i met brian there because he had already liked darren's page uh and that was one of the other cool things is that i had like 300 and so followers when I walked in the door. <laughs> so I was able to adopt a bunch of uh, followers and, and I'm sure to some extent it'd be a lot of people from the same community as I'm in anyway. So uh, that was, that worked out real well. And I saw this, uh, somebody was liking a lot of the posts and actually I saw some stuff where in the beginning I saw some likes and I went to see if it was mine and it was likes on old posts Darren had made a while back. And, uh, but uh, I've seen, you know, now it's, it's a weird thing Facebook is because you almost feel like you get to know somebody, even though you don't know them, uh, you see them on there. Uh, I and I feel like I'm closer to people that I'm not really close to anymore, uh, because I'm friends with them on Facebook. So, uh, tonight we'll get to, I'll get to know Brian better. That's a, uh, that's a, that's a, one of the, 
benefits of this podcast is that uh, I get to I get to know another guy that's doing the walking this walk better. And um, to me, a lot of this whole deal is building relationships with people. And uh, and this podcast facilitates that pretty good. Every time I walk away, I've got a new friend. Or if it was a friend already, I know my friend better. How's it going, Brian? I'm good, Dan. Thanks for having me. Good deal. He said it's a, a cool, cool 60 degrees down in Florida. What part of Florida? Uh, Orlando, Kissimmee, Orlando area. Okay. Yep. Yep. Cool. Cool. Right, right outside of the where the mouse sleeps. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've never been there. Never really? have. Yep. Uh, it's I, work, I worked there for uh, uh, almost two years. Oh, really? Yeah. I worked. Uh, that's what brought me down here. Did you wear uh, a mouse good. outfit? Uh, no, no. <laughs> I worked security and did uh, two years of counterterrorism work for Wow. Me. Oh, very cool. Yeah, so uh, that sparks my interest real fast. Uh, Yeah, that's what that's what uh, got me. That's what uh, prompted the move down here. Yeah, are you a veteran? Yeah, sure. Thank you for your service, man. That'll come up here today. So uh, trust me, it plays a huge part in this. Yeah, I kind of figured. uh, I I, kind of figured. So, what is your sobriety date? Uh, My sobriety date is April 29th of 2011. So just past that 10 year, uh, mark. Yeah. 11 is when, uh, yeah. Congratulations. No doubt. Uh, coming up on 11 years. That's a, no, just, yeah. Yeah. Coming up on 11 years. Uh, 2011 was when I, my first time I walked into a meeting with a desire to stop drinking. I was like, that's the first time I came to a meeting when I actually had a third tradition in my pocket. I was court ordered to go oh. years ago, but you know, I didn't want to hear, you know, I didn't want to hear any of it. But when I finally ended up hitting the wall where I walked in wanting help, it was 2011. And I, um, and I, and I say I bounced off the walls and halls of AA for four years before I could finally get it to take, you know, and uh, that's a lot of our stories too, is that we, Absolutely. you know, coming in here and getting it right out of the gates is a rare thing. Yeah. I failed for- tremendously starting out in this. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, makes me, you know, where I had to, I have to do work. I had to work on making sure I'm not getting judgmental about people when I see them doing the same thing. Cause I did it too, you know, but I get frustrated cause I'm like, come on, man, just jump in the boat. And uh, I'm, the same, I'm the same way. That's one of the things that, uh, Darren used to work on me on, uh, Brian as well was like, because they, it, you, you try to be supportive, but it comes off judgmental. Yeah. And after a meeting, they go, could you have just been any harder? because you know you've done the same thing (laughs) yeah yeah uh where'd you grow up at where'd you i was born uh in louisville i was born at st anthony's hospital in louisville yeah and uh it uh we quickly moved away my dad took a better job and moved away to raleigh north carolina and i was there until my parents divorced uh when i was six and then we moved back to uh smithfield kentucky out in Henry County, uh, with my mom's, uh, mom and, uh, her husband on a, on a, uh, beef cattle farm. Oh, wow. And I, I lived out there, uh, until I went away to this mom built a house, uh, a couple blocks down the road. And then, uh, we lived there, moved in there when I was 13 and then, uh, stayed there, uh, abruptly left home at the age of 18 and never really looked back. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's another guy siblings uh yeah got an older brother three years older than me uh oddly enough he's a uh southern baptist minister oh really 
Yeah. Oil uh, and water. Yeah, I always like to hear how uh, um, it sounds like things were okay growing up or I don't know, you know, some of us come in here. I, I can't lay my alcoholism at the foot of my parents. You know, some people come in here uh, with their biggest complaint is they had shitty parents. Uh, I, I can't do that. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't go that far with it, but I was pretty much left to my own devices growing up and uh, given a lot of rope. Uh, well, she was never home, you know, yeah. single mom, you know, she was never home. And I didn't find this out until later on in life. Uh, she worked for the, she worked in Frankfurt, uh, won't say for who, but, uh, then she determined she needed a part-time job. And so she was coming home at night and going to work at her part-time job, but coming to find out later on in life, this was an excuse to be out drinking. Mm. So, you know, uh, I played sports growing up yeah. just to stay out of the house. I played sports growing up and uh, everything else. And it just thank God for a, a good friend of mine who lives out in Portland, Oregon. Now, Jamie Tipton, uh, I use his last name because he's not one of us. Uh -huh. uh, but Jamie, if it wasn't for Jamie growing up. Uh, he was five years older than me oh, wow. and I do not know where I would have ended up. Yeah. That's a big spread. I, to, uh, uh, you know, I would make like a 13 year old and an 18 year old. That's he, uh, I, I ran with an older crowd basically because yeah. you know, my mom wasn't around much. My uncle raised me uh, and uh, her brother. And so it was that I, as I reflect back, as I've gone through this program and everything, and I look back on it, there's, and it's not a blame thing. So I don't want this to come out wrong, but Absolutely. that's where, that's where the access to drinking came from. That's where it was because I looked up to my uncle, you know, my uncle was six foot four and 340 pounds. He's a big old country boy. And uh, if you look at pictures of me and him, we're almost like identical twins. Oh, wow. And uh everything he did to me was cool. So they were out partying, drinking. So it was, it was the cool thing to do. Yep, yeah. I can, I can relate to that. I looked, I looked up to my uncles a great deal as well. You know, through my teenage years, he, I'll never forget it. He kept a, uh, he rebuilt a, one of the old time Dr. Pepper machines with the white uh, background with the gold stars on it. And it was a bottle dispense machine and it took quarters and he rebuilt it and made it work, but he kept Bud Light in it. <laughs> and he kept a tumbler full of quarters on the top. So once <laughs> I was 16, 17 years old, he was like, you know, your beer's in there if you wanted quarters are on top. Yeah. Because he had a garage that he worked out of. So, but then it was like one or two because I was with them and it had, I had to be cool, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can relate to that too. Do you remember when you first, how old you were when you first started drinking or? consistently no i do remember the first time he got in trouble for my drinking believe it or not i was eight years old oh, wow. uh, yeah we were we had just finished stripping tobacco for the winter and him and some friends of his and this goes way back when they sold little millers in eight ounce glass bottles yeah and he gave me enough to stagger me. I don't know how many it was, but I walked home and then my mom smelled it on me and I'll never forget that. I will never forget the trouble he got in for that. But yeah. as far as, but it, you know, going through my early years, I didn't drink a lot. You know, when I went away to East, I went to Eastern Kentucky university and studied police administration. And 
even then, it, there wasn't much to it. You get drunk every once in a while. I was a fraternity boy. I was in a military fraternity. I uh, won't mention which one, but, uh, you know, it was out there. And so, you know, we'd stay up there for fraternity functions and rush week and all that. And I'd go, excuse me, I'd go downtown drinking with the guys, but it was nothing really to write home about. Yeah, yeah. It was at that time. Yeah, at that time, it was, it was normal. You know, you get drunk, you're hungover. Oh my God. And it'd be two or three months before you do it again. You know, you know, nor normal people stuff, Yeah. you know, not, not our way of doing it. I don't think even through my military years, uh, I, I had a rule that it was, uh, I did it once. And that's what came into my rules was no drinking 24 hours before getting underway. And because it's in the Navy. So you get out on the open water and everything, equilibrium's messed up enough. I mean, I never really got seasick, but uh, keeping your balance and everything was bad enough, much less having the one time I did it, uh, having that in your head already kind of messes you up anyway. So uh, even going to Ports of Call, I just go out and have two or three beers with the guys and that'd be it. Yeah. It wasn't until after I got out and got back uh, that it, it, I really, well, I know what lit the fuse, but turned this into where I ended up. Yeah. So, uh, were you in the Navy? Did you go there yeah. straight out of high school? No, I did a couple of years at Eastern Kentucky University. And oh, yeah, then, uh, yeah, my mom got very ill and I lost my scholarship and came home to take care of her. And, you know, this is kind of where you mentioned the shitty parent thing was uh, nursed her back to health. And when she got on her feet, it turned into what have you done for me lately? Hmm. So I had uh, some friends of mine that had gone in and everything. So I went down and talked to the Navy recruiter and everything and uh, thought about it for about 24 hours and enlisted right away. And yeah. You know, something you know, I, uh, off, off I went. Yeah, my brother was in the army, and it's a, it feels like, or something, I don't, I have a, you know, it's not really a regret, but it was something that nags at me that I wished I'd have done. Well, I mean, I was in, I was in the Gulf War the first time. Oh, were you? Yeah, during that era, so. Yeah, how old are you? Me? I'll, I'll be 54 this year. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. we're pretty close to the same. I'm, I'll be 53 this year. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. But uh, no, it uh, like I said when I when I came back, you know, uh, something was just off. I knew what I'd been through. I knew I knew the things that I had done uh, made some pretty bad choices, and uh, experienced uh, a lot of a, a lot of death and uh, to some with some people that were very very near and dear to me. Yeah, uh, and serving in the military, that's. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'll tell this story because Darren will appreciate this. This is one of his favorite stories that I always told. Uh, when I got on board, I was because of my background and the things that I'd been involved with. I was uh, put in charge of the ship self defense force and put in charge of a boarding party to where we worked with uh, the Coast Guard and international waters boarding ships. Uh, if we were in foreign waters, uh, worked with the SEAL teams and things like that going on board, uh, we pulled over anything that was 40 to 400 feet. Oh, didn't wow. matter what, what didn't matter what flag what was on. We, you're searching for everything, drugs, weapons, you know, that type thing. And I remember um, going on board one time 
and then I'll leave his name out of it. Very young kid, uh, up and coming. Uh, always wanted to be, always had to be first, had to be first, had to be first. And it finally, I gave in. And my gut told me differently. And I'm just like, fine. If you'll be quiet, I'll let you go first. He popped hatch on the door, threw the door open. There was a guy standing there, shot him right in the face and killed him. Oh, wow. And so we fast forward, we get through the op, we come back. Uh, we're in the helo hangar. And, you know, of course, the chaplain's out there doing his thing. And uh, we were getting ready to go board again. And I'm standing there and I've got all my gear on and my weapons with me. And uh, chaplain walks up to, up to me and he goes, son, he goes, uh, seems like you've lost your, your, your faith and your hope. Hmm. And I looked square in the face and I did not realize that the old man, that the captain was standing there waiting to see us off. And I said, Nope. I said, see, I have my faith. And I pointed to my pistol on my right leg. And I said, and my hope is the rifle hanging down my back. And I said, and I don't need your God. I said, your uh -huh. God is the reason why he's laying in that box. Uh -huh. And I walked off and walked past him. And after we did our thing and we came back, I was quickly called to the captain's stateroom. And I'll never forget him. Uh, I'll leave his last name out of it. His name was uh, Terry. And uh, Terry reminded me of John Wayne. Uh, I had the, the square jaw and wore a, an airman's jacket because one of the guys off the aircraft carrier gave it to me. Uh, the nice steel rim glasses. And I guess he thought he was MacArthur in a way because he always had that kind of pipe with him. <laughs> and... Uh, so he pulled me in and he goes, uh, I stand in there, heard what you said. And then he goes, do you like all them stripes you have on you? And I went, yeah. And he goes, well, I suggest you go find the chaplain and you make that right. And he goes, and I better never hear that again. Mm. And he goes, and if he comes back to me and it's not to my liking, he goes, I'm going to light your load on your shoulder a little bit. Mm. And he goes, you're blaming the wrong person for that. But it's just one of those things that it was, uh, that was one of my first distancing things with the, you know, the man upstairs. Yeah, I grew up in the church. I made my uh, first communion uh, as a Catholic when I was nine. Uh, then my mom got uh, kind of heave out of the church because she hid the fact that she was divorced. You know, Catholics aren't yeah. really big on that. And then, yeah. uh, which Southern Baptist Church, I was baptized when I was 13. So, I, grew, I mean, I grew up in the church and you know, organized religion was always a, a big part of my thing. And I was uh, a big follower and goer and everything and was into it pretty good. But for some reason that that Switch got flipped. That day, yeah, it wrecked me completely. And I just I turned my back on it. Yeah. And I think that was part of my downward spiral where I had been co so connected to it and had that footing that. When I turned my back on it, it was like, here's the start. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And I could imagine, you know, between, you know, straight up from the loss of somebody, you know, that deal of like, you know, if there was a God, why'd he take this guy? And then also, uh, you know, at some level, at least, and this is, this is from talking to people, not from experience, is that when you're asked to do the kind of thing sometimes that guys in the military are asked to do, there's almost like a mental moral thing where you almost need to set that aside. You know, it doesn't, you know, you and I don't know that you man. need to, but it seems that happens that they're like, okay, we got to put a compartmentalize this yep. 
And, you know, if I'm going to be out here doing this, I don't got any room for that in my, in my life right now. Yeah. The, because the moral struggle becomes so it becomes very difficult. It really does. Some of the things that you're, you know, what you have to do, but you know, when it comes to, uh, being put in that position to where it's, it's the, the cliche, it's you or them. Yeah. Uh, there's still that moral struggle of taking another person's life, you know, yeah. and it's, uh, it keeps I you think up. anytime, I think just in general, no matter what we're doing in life, I think, and I hear this story from listening to these things, you know, it's when I start separating myself and I'm like doing things that I'm really not in alignment with, you know, yeah. not, you wouldn't just go out and do that for the fun of it. Right. You're not, that was your job. You were asked to do it. You did your job, but, uh, you know, even morally, when we start stepping across the line, doing things in our life that aren't, you know, in alignment, I always say we have a compass needle, you know, and today I'm usually pointing in my true North. I'm usually yep. uh, feel like I'm where I should be doing what I should be doing. And, uh, anytime we jump over there, uh, and, and start acting in ways that we know that's, uh, I guess this, this is hard. This is fun, a little bit too basic, but when we're doing something, we know ain't exactly right. Right. Then we got to put that over there in the closet because, you know, you almost like you don't want to be seen doing it. I'm going to hide at the moment and then it's, I might come back someday, but. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, is the bad part about it is when you get put in that position and, and then the stories want to be told later on and people want to glorify it in everything. And in the, when you're trying to live right and don't get me wrong, I still was trying to live right. But in the back of my head, you know, I would actually, the guys would be telling stories and I just have to get up and walk away. You know, Hey, you remember the time when, and I'd sit there long enough to entertain and I'd excuse myself to go to the bathroom and then wouldn't come back to the table. Cause I just didn't want to relive it. And didn't want to hear it again yeah, yeah. because it was still in the back of my head. It's going, you know, that's wrong. You know, that's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it just, uh, it's, so, yeah, but I mean, I, I, I went through, yeah, I went through about, I went through six different situations like that. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And it just, and part of it is when you're in charge of all that, you know, that's a huge weight to carry. And then when you're going through it, then when you're living the life, you, there's not room to dwell if that makes any sense. And it's just, uh, I found out after I got back that my brain, not only with this disease and everything was different, but my brain was wired differently. And I went, Dan, I went 20 years, 20 plus years convincing myself I was okay. There's nothing wrong with me, you yeah. know, before the drinking got bad, but I was already isolating. You know, I was already becoming a huge recluse. Uh, the, the nightmares, everything, you know, uh, it, it was God awful. But I always convinced myself because no matter what went on in my life, I always handled it. Right. There was, you know how we are. Yeah. I got this. It's no problem. Yeah. And no most problem. of us are really good at what we do. You know, you know, most yeah. of us really are. We're really like Excel. We're really good at what we do. And any problem that's come down the pike, I've been able to handle. And, uh, and, and a lot of that stuff has actually been, went really well, but this particular little problem here, <laughs> I couldn't, I yeah, couldn't, you know, and, and it wasn't until I went in 
seeks treatment. And it was a twofold thing because once I got into the program and I spoke with Chris about it uh, a couple of times uh, about getting treatment for uh, what was diagnosed as a version of PTSD. And it was Mm -hmm. survivor's remorse or survivor's guilt, whatever, whichever label that they're because they change so much, whichever they're hanging on it these days. But I couldn't remember the things that went on until I started drinking Mm. and the walls would come down and I would remember it like it was yesterday. Mm. And when I, Dan, when I tell you I would go on a bender, it was because I wanted to stay there. I felt guilty for not being able to remember these things. And I felt like that it was, it was doing a huge disservice by not being able to remember these guys or these things. And it would, it would be the weirdest thing. I would be at work and somebody's name would come up. And when it would come up, a switch would flip in my head. There'd be that real glimmer that would go flying through. I'd get a flash of something. And when I got home at night, it was on. And when I tell you I would stay there, I would stay there four or five, six days. Stay wow. there. Yeah. There you go. I think one, one of my... I wasn't a hard alcohol drinker. I was a beer drinker. And one of the, uh, one of the, one of the longest nights, days I ever had, it was a 12 hour period of time. I was told this because I don't remember. I was a blackout drunk and it was, uh, I drank 58 in a 12 hour period of time. Ooh. That's drinking some beer for sure. And, and live and lived it and lived yeah. to tell it, which was wow. the, the amazing thing. But uh, no yeah, help. no, no, in the basement by myself, yeah. flipping between war movies and playing video games, you know, and uh, it was god awful. But uh, but no, I just uh, you know, I always held myself accountable because you know, as much as I love my uncle and, and you know my other family members and everything, I always backed up and looked at their lives and always kind of compared. And I watched these guys wreck their lives, and I'm just like, you know, that's never going to be me. That's never yeah. going to be me. And what triggered me one morning is I got up and I looked in the mirror, and I physically. I was so far gone. I, like I said, I played sports. I had a gym in my house. I still, I still have one. Uh, use it, you know, stay in shape. And uh, I had ballooned up. I'd gone from 237 pounds to 333 pounds mm. and did not recognize who I was. Yeah. And it was so, I'm sure you've heard this story before. I had other people. It was so bad that, I was in that basement or our family room downstairs and I didn't need anything. You know, I isolated from my whole family. They were upstairs. I was downstairs. I didn't see anybody. I had TV, refrigerator, microwave, sink, had my own shower and the waiting room. was. I didn't need nothing unless except for it was to leave the house, go get, get alcohol and come back. Yeah. And I never turned lights on, you know, uh, grew up full. I, Chris laughed at me when I came back in finally for the last time was I, I can't remember how long it had been since I had a haircut and my hair was like down between my shoulders, had a hat on, had a full grown long beard. And when it came in and one of the first things Chris said to me when he sat down, he goes, you could grow all that out. You still can't hide. I know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> 
you know, but, but I remember looking in the mirror going, you failed yourself, you know, you've absolutely positively failed yourself. This bar that you set for yourself, you know, you just, you're, and I remember telling myself, you've become just like everybody else. Yeah. You know, and that was a hard pill to swallow and it was hard to face it uh, and come to grips with it. And so I've heard parallel things of people, you know, I'm not going to be like my dad. I'm not going to, you know, and, and not do that. And it's bad. I have a real good, I have one of my favorite guys who did the same thing. And, uh, and he woke up one day and realized he had become just like his dad and uh, you know, lifted yeah. him out. And that was the turning point for him. You know, and, that, and that's the sad thing. You know, I let, you know, my bitterness and my drinking and my anger and everything, you know, I never did understand fully why my dad left until I started to develop a relationship with my, uh, my stepsisters. And uh, he had kept a lockbox full of letters to my stepsister's mom. Mm-hmm. And it was explaining the whole thing of why he divorced my mom. Oh, wow. The only the only thing I had against my dad was the fact of how he left. Right. He decided to, for whatever reason, to prove a point to my mom. And he beat up me and my brother pretty bad before he left. Mm. And I always carried that. I carried that anger and that grudge. And I wanted that answer. And, you know, uh, and I was going to get it, <laughs> you know, and I'll never forget uh we started to reconnect and I tried to let bygones be bygones and, you know, cause I, I had a, I had a uh, son and a, I had a daughter and then my son had come along and I, you know, I really wanted dad to be there. And so I tried to set it aside and tried to set it aside and I couldn't. And I will never forget showing up on his doorstep one day, just as disrespectful as you want to be, you know, demanding answers from him, uh, told him I would get my answers uh, and he was going to give them to me one way or another. And, and he had the right. He's like, he goes, Brian, I don't know who you think you are standing here. And he goes, but until you can straighten up your act and we can sit down and talk about this, he goes, you're a grown man. Now I told you one day you would come with questions and you'd figure it out. And I said, that's not good enough. I said, see, you're not going to sidestep me. I said, see, dad, you don't know anything about me. And I said, I have a skill set. I said, I can take you and you'll never hear it. And he goes, I think we're done talking now. Mm. And he backed up, closed the door and left. And that cost me, damn, that cost me. I think in total, I lost in my adult life. I lost 24 years with my dad because of my attitude and my drinking and, you know, I had his number in my phone and I would do the stupid shit. I'd get drunk and call up and rage and, you know, what's what? Yeah. You know, I'm the man, you're not, you know, that type thing. And it just, it it was God awful how I treated people, you know? And, uh, but I was lucky enough that when I got in the program and I got straight and I got everything where it needed to be, as I was going through the 12 steps at the time that, that the man was like, yeah, let's sit and talk. Yeah. You know, let's sit and talk. Let's, let, let's get it straightened out. And, uh, 
we had been back around each other two years, two years good. Dad did a six-year bout with uh, bladder cancer, and they ended up having to go in, and they built him a, a fake one, and they removed everything, and uh, he got past all that, and he had some issues with uh, scar tissue and would have to have some repeat surgeries, and um, and my stepmom and I figured it up that the last two years of his life, I think he spent maybe four months at home. The rest of it was, you know, in the hospital. But dad, during the middle of all this, uh, dad went in for one of his post checks and they found an aneurysm. And they, yeah, and they uh, they went in, they packed it, no problem. Hey, like titanium strips and all that. Hey, you're good to go. Uh, come back and see us in a few months. And he just kept saying, no, I don't feel right. I don't feel right. And he kept, he kept getting weaker and weaker. So back to the hospital he went and he ended up catching some sort of a blood disease and bam, within a couple of months, it was over. When he went, when he went, uh, there was nine machines hooked in trying to keep him alive, trying to regulate his blood pressure, trying to do, and the doctor was just like, when he goes now, there's nothing left. And I remember the night that he started to go, oh, I was standing there with him and I, you know, I hugged him. He's got all these tubes and shit and wires hanging out of him. And he's looking me in the eye and I went, stop. I said, just stop. I said, stop fighting. Yeah. I said, it's time. I said, your body's tired. You just stop fighting it. And six o'clock next morning, it was over. Yeah. Oh, it was just, but you know, the thing is, is I, I tell that story because of the, the immaturity, the arrogance in, in don't, during that whole gap period that I was costing me and my old man, I was full blown in it. I was drinking my life away. And it just, I look back on it now and it's just like the things you say and the things that you do. Could you have just tried any harder to hurt people? Yeah. You know, and by thinking, you know, you're right. And, you know, it's always your way. If, I mean, if this makes sense, you know, yeah, nobody can, nobody can tell me. And it's just, it was, it was a mess. Yeah. That uh, disease takes you over. You know, that's what I was saying about finding yourself, you know, actually recovering your true soul, you know, because inside that's not who you are. And uh, it just takes you over. Not to mention you throw in this, uh, these various bouts of, I'll just call it trauma. Cause that's what I think it yeah. is when you have friends die or when your dad walks off, you know, you lose your dad, whatever the circumstances, when you're a little kid, it don't matter. You know, the, the reasons don't matter when you're a little kid, you know, he's just gone. And, uh, sure, man. And, and then you go to a place that teaches you to like, uh, I know it's not the right exact same thing, but you go through to an occupation that actually teaches you how to be angry, you know, not mm-hmm. control, no, no. controlled and anger, but. And you're, and you're spot on. And that's the thing, Dan, when I, when, I, you know, I see what these guys are going through now, cause I experienced it a little bit. Uh, they don't mind sending you out there and teaching you how to do this. But when you're broken, then it's bureaucratic red tape. And I mean, I hate to beat that drum for a second, but I'm going to. Yeah, they spend tons of money getting you where they want you. I got so frustrated with it, Dan. I went for private help. I wouldn't do it through the VA because there was too many things. No wonder we're losing statistically 22 guys a day because 
there's too much to go through for anybody to get any of the appropriate help. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it just, it, it amazes me that they'll break you, but don't want to fix you. And, you know, Dan, I'll, and I'll, I'll backtrack, you know, there were several times you, you touched on it, you hit it, you know, the, the trauma and the, the losing of things and everything. And one of the, my driving forces was acceptance. And from a little kid, that's why my bar was so high and everything I did from playing the band to playing sports to, I don't care if it was a pickup game, my bar was set so high because I wanted everybody to accept me. And it, that driving force alone uh, got so bad when I was in that I couldn't realistically deal with it anymore. And I would purposefully, purposefully put myself in harm's way because I just didn't want to go home. Yeah. I didn't want to deal. I didn't want to do whatever it was that was going on up here that I didn't understand. I just didn't want to wrestle with it anymore. Yeah. And I can remember walking back through looking at where I was during an event and everything. And the guys walk around me going, I don't know how that missed you. Mm. And it, it got to be a running joke at times before we would go out. They would look at me and go, are you coming back this time? Because oh. they knew. Yeah. But it was the unspoken. Nobody would take it out of the room. Yeah. You know, because you could have been pulled and there's the psyche valves and all that, but nobody would take it out of the room. Yeah. You know, again, because like you said earlier, we're really good at what we do. And during that time, my ego was so big, it got to a room a half an hour before I did. And if you didn't know who I was before I left, I damn sure made sure you knew who I was by the time I left. But, you know. I also go in a rabbit hole. I listen to lots of podcasts and uh, I, I just got taken from the time of, uh, of when Richard Marcinko's books come out a long time ago, the rogue warrior and the seal mm -hmm. stuff. That is stuff I have like been uh, uh, following since I was a kid. And, uh, and now I watch a lot of the stuff because some of those uh, former seals and stuff have podcasts and stuff and they will talk about, I mean, they tell it in the same stories you're talking about, except for it's not a recovery story. Uh, of having the similar kind of thing of being, you know, uh, basically uh, trained to be a killer, and then when they're when they're done, they don't untrain you. They don't. Nope. They don't. You don't go get anything for any of the stuff you went through, or any. Not even a. You know, not even a medium exit plan. You know, it's no, none. You, and there's the crossover coming back to the real world has gone off. Yeah. You know, because this is all you've known. This is all you knew to do. You know. And uh, you talk know. about the drinking and the drugs and the, all everything that come with it. And yeah. you know, one of the one of the avenues they take or is going down like down to South Africa and South America and doing those ayahuasca's and the D DMTs and uh, doing that, which always seems a little weird. But I can kind of understand uh, how that would uh, work. Uh, you need a real change of trajectory. You know, you can't just like be going and turn a little bit north. You have to like turn around, go the other way kind of thing, yeah. or, you know, as far as our mind goes and them psychic changes that you get through a hallucinogen, I can see how that can be enough of a 180. Uh, ultimately, that's what the 12 steps does is pulls you back and turns you in a different direction. You know, it gives you that trajectory change that seems to need to happen. That psychic change is what they call it. So, uh, yeah, this is almost a, 
Yeah. To listen to that story over and over and not just you, but just having that come. It's interesting that I have a guy on, on here on my show. That's telling that story. Now, after hearing other people say the same thing on podcasts that I listen to. Yeah. It's just, it's, it, it's, you know, and I had a, uh, one of the guys that was going to seminary uh, wanted to write a paper on, on it. And so I sat down and shared all six incidences with him and everything. And, you know, after, you know, and he's just like, you know, how do you, how do you survive? And I just, at the time, I, you know, I, I didn't have an answer and I still don't, you know, how do you mentally cope and survive with all that? And it's, I, I don't know. I really don't know to this day. I don't know. I was never one that could uh, take the coward's way out. And, you know, in, 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 ended all, although I almost did several times, ended up in the hospital with drinking like eight different times, you know, and, uh, uh, it just, yeah. Some, sometimes I think of drug use and alcohol abuse as almost being like, uh, slow suicide. You yeah. know, I, I won't, I just, I can't just do it. And I remember wishing that I, my life would end, you know, uh, and I, so I could see like putting, you know, in your situation that, uh, dangers around and all you got to do is step out in a little harder. Yeah. Maybe yeah. something will happen, you know, and, yeah. and I don't think you could actually, I don't, when the, when the disease has got that hold on you like that, you can't rationalize that, you know, mm-hmm. we see all this stuff in the rear view mirror after coming out of the fog and getting well and, or getting better and, and doing this work and finding real help. Then I can look back there and see what was going on. But at the time I couldn't tell you what I was doing. Yeah. And, and you know, and that, that's the thing, you know, I'd have to, I remember, you know, being in the hospital and all wired up and everything because my blood pressure bottomed out and I had the God awful taste of metal in my mouth and everything. And, you know, they're just like, you know, you're, uh, it would go from so low to, so it would be like stroke levels. My blood pressure and my heart mm-hmm. rate would be there to the point. I remember one time I went in that they had to put three nitro patches on. And, yeah and the headache i had with that was god off and i remember seeing my son standing there looking and watching all this shit you know and i just kept telling him it's all good everything's fine you know and not realizing the the traumatic set of events that i was putting this kid through you know and and of course like we rationalize everything yeah it's enough to keep you off of it for about a week week and a half you know and then it's like okay the further you get away from the incident it's oh that wasn't so bad it right back to it you go again yeah can't remember the suffering and humiliation of a week ago no absolutely not and you know the you, you know, god knows you don't remember the fear that was that was in you when you wake up out of a sound sleep to you know your heart beating in your ears and your head feeling like it's going to explode and you know uh yeah it was it is it's amazing how quick we put that out of our mind and 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 go back to to it I had all kinds of blood pressure issues and I've always been fit and I'm thin and uh, doc couldn't figure out why my blood pressure was out the roof. And uh, cause I didn't tell him the truth and, See, and, me too. <laughs> and you know, I, I stopped this drinking thing and my blood pressure dumped and, uh, and then I was, I was still on the blood pressure medication, you know? So now it's like low, you know? low yeah. and uh, I had to get that evened out. But man, that's funny. The blood pressure just, 
I got great blood pressure today. Now and I ain't putting the sauce in me all the time. Yeah, I, I, I remember that too because I remember lying to my doctor's face because the he goes, "What was all of a sudden this weight gain and your blood pressure's out of whack? So we're gonna have to put you on some stuff." And he goes, "What's going on?" He goes, "Man, you used to be in the gym all the time." I'm like, "Oh yeah, I still am and everything." I was like, "I don't know," said. said the money I spent on medical bills. He's like, well, we need to take a look at your thyroid. And my, oh yeah, let's do that. And you know, all this shit I put my body through instead of just going, Hey, look, you know what? I'm a, I'm a fucking drunk. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I, I did the exact same thing you did. I quit drinking and I stayed on the medication. And then when I moved down here, uh, I went, I had changed up and, uh, had to find me a family doctor down here and I come in and he goes, so Brian, your blood pressure, really, it was 101 over 65. And he goes, why are you on this blood pressure medication? <laughs> I was like, well, let's get to the root of the evil. I was like, yeah, I've been a drunken, been in the program for all these years and all that. And that's why they put me on. He goes, well, you're done. Yeah. And he goes, I want you to wean it back. I want you to take one every other day and for two weeks and then just stop taking it. And he goes, and you know, he goes, you don't need to be on that. He goes, I appreciate your honesty. And he goes, but if you start drinking again, he goes, let me know. Apparently blood pressure is an issue with you. I'm yeah. like, well, I was like, that's 330 you know, plus pounds. Of course it's going to be. But uh, yeah. then at that time, uh, I had left the department of corrections because it wrecked my shoulder. I did 18 months of rehab over a bad cell entry and, uh, I had to change up working out and change my diet. So I'd cut weight all the way down to 212. So what, shit, you, said a, you said it's some kind of some, what kind of injury you said shoulder. shoulder, but you said a bad something injury. Yeah. We had, we had a cell entry that went bad with an inmate oh. and uh, I ended up okay. getting really, I mean, I, according to the orthopedic doctor in Louisville, I was three stitches away from a complete shoulder replacement. Mm. It, rotator cuff labrum. They actually had to uh, detach the, uh, the uh, bicep tendon because he tore the labrum off the bone, tore it in three places and ruptured and tore the bicep tendon. So they had to actually anchor it, drill a hole in the bone in my arm and well, anchor it to, to my dang. arm to make sure that it still yeah. worked. Put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Oh yeah. But I mean, that 18 months of rehab, I'm like, it never happened. Back in other, other than the nine different holes I have all around this shoulder. <laughs> but, uh, and that too was a lot of my, you know, rehab and or drinking issues was, uh, uh, went over to a friend's house one night and got drunk and then got into an argument with my ex-wife and, uh, ended up putting my fist through a gun cabinet that my stepfather had given me and severed everything in my left arm. They had to call it a plastic surgeon and everything uh, almost bled to death. It cut everything straight through to the bone. They had to basically reattach the whole left or whole bottom underneath of my arm. Right. And, uh, yeah. You're hard on that left side there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I always thought if I just did, that's why he told my buddy Jamie is if I thought if I could just remove that arm, I'd be good to go. And it's not really saying much when I am left-handed, you know, <laughs> but uh, you know, and so I did 10 weeks of rehab with that. And then, you know, that was a setback and I couldn't work and everything else. So that's when this take, this goes all the way back to 1995 in uh, no 97. And this is, where it started to go downhill because then I started in that 
poor pitiful me aspect. And then this is where I started to, after I was diagnosed, I didn't know then, but this is where the start of the remembrance issues were because I would drink and the walls would come down. So this is where the, the big spiral started. And then in October of 99, I remember this like it was yesterday, uh, was working midnight shift, got up to go to work and uh, was watching Colorado, Colorado State on a football game. It was snowing and I got up and I went and put all my stuff in the bathroom and I was like uh, at halftime and I'm like, I'll get a shower when the game's over because it's a close game and uh, two minute warning, went in, brushed my teeth, come back out, game's over, go walking in. And as I come walking out, the floor came up and met me. Mm. I could not move. I was paralyzed. I was paralyzed from the waist down and could not move. And I, my ex-wife was upstairs and I hit the concrete floor so hard that she came down to see what was wrong. And so, of course, see, this is I'd been drinking and all that before. And so she's like, thought I was drunk and I wasn't going to work. And she's like, get up. And I'm like, you're not you're not here. I can't get up. I cannot move. And so she calls paramedics. Everybody comes in. They're they're doing all these. They they're pinching me and stabbing me with stuff and trying to get stuff. Couldn't feel anything. And so they strap me to a backboard and hauled me off to uh, Jewish hospital. Or first it was U of L, then to Jewish, and uh, to try to figure out what was wrong. And come to find out, uh, they ran me in. I spent eighteen hours strapped to a backboard. And they ran me uh, in an MRI and they found a hole in my spinal cord at T9. The blood vessels in my spinal cord had not, they didn't explode, they imploded. And it blew a hole straight through my spinal cord. And the scar tissue, if you look it up, I think it's called, it's called a, a cavernous angioma slash AVM. There's a huge long word for that uh, acronym, but most of them are on the surface and they can take them off with a laser mm-hmm. and the spinal cord regenerates. So people get them on the brain and everything like that, but mine went all the way through. And they, uh, they're like, here's the deal. This is a wrap. You're done. Mm. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, you're, you're, that's it. You're not going to walk. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And they're like, look, and they're, they're hanging the MRI films up and you're like, clear, clear as day. Your spinal cord is about as big around as your thumb. And this, this is going to be lost on everybody that's not in the Zoom with me and you. But it's the size of your thumb. And the hole in my spinal cord is the size of my thumbnail. Wow. So the only thing that's holding me together are the two little posts on either side. So once it, it was first, it started out once every six months ago and they would measure the trapped blood vessels to make sure no new bleeders were coming because they're like basically what's going to happen is your spinal cord is going to sever itself and then it's really going to be it and that's going to be all yeah so i almost screwed up and let a doctor at uofl uh the one of the initial trauma doctors uh operate on me and then i went wait a minute i need a second opinion dr jonathan two up in cincinnati who's the best neurologist in the region who taught everybody in indiana Louisville, metro area and everything i went up to see him and he looked at everything and he goes so i hear you're opting for the surgery and i went well I, i'd like to have my legs back 
And he takes his ink pen and he throws it across the table to me. And I went, what's that for? He goes, because I'll be the first one to autograph your wheelchair. He goes, you let anybody go on your back and you are not ever going to walk again. Mm. And I'm like, what do I do? I can't walk now. I can't hardly feel anything. He goes, my suggestion with you is to do rehab, salvage what you got and move on with your life to the best of your ability. And it all started, Dan, as I, I was playing semi-pro football at the time, and uh, I got hit real bad. Then I thought I had a pinched nerve in my hip, and uh, so I blew it off. And I was like, yeah, at the end of the season, I'll get it looked at, and everything will be fine. Well, guess what? It wasn't fine. Yeah. I was just going to ask you, was it a – birth defect or did it was it from an injury that, that or was, you know, that's what that was the that come to determine was the doctors were like uh yeah it's a genetic defect and they just got weak and finally just let go yeah yeah and, uh, so again spiral gets bigger further out of control poor pitiful me why me so i spent October of 99 to September of 2001, learning how to walk. Damn. I went through Fraser Rehab and got everything back. The only thing that's wrong with my legs to this day are they're asleep a little bit. Really? Huh. I, managed, I managed to get everything back. Wow. Uh, yeah. I've yeah. got a, I got a sleepy left foot too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, had from a pinching herb in my back and uh, had a big episode one morning where I had just the worst pain I've ever experienced shooting down my leg one morning. And then, uh, I, I was in tears. I ended up calling my ex-wife come over here and help me. And, uh, she did. And she put me in the car and took me to emergency room. When they sit me on the examination table, they took me right back. And as soon as they sit me down, it the pain left and my whole leg was numb. Yep. And, uh, and it took a while and it's still got a little bit, even up my thigh and calf, there's a little bit of this numbness feeling. It just don't have the sensitivity it used to, but I've learned for a while. It made me limp a lot. Right. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, we, we adapt, you know, yeah. and, uh, and I get along on it pretty good today. And they said it probably won't ever get better. So, yeah. So, I mean, so from, from, 97 picked up really, really progressively. 99 during that two year period of time, uh, is when it just yeah. all bets. That's how about the pain pills? They gave me, they gave me uh, Darvacet and Percocet initially when they released me to go home. And they're like, uh, we need you to stay as immobile as possible. The only time we want you up and around is when you're actually getting in the car to go to rehab, do your rehab, come back home. We want you to stay down. And I'm like, okay, I can deal with that. And so as directed, I took the first, I say Parkinson and Darvacet because they swapped them. Uh, so I took them. I don't remember to this day which one I was on first, but that stuff put me on such a different planet. I legit was having hallucinations of shit that I didn't wow. appreciate. And I ended up flushing them down the toilet. I couldn't wow. take them. Yeah. So I called them up and I'm like, Hey, you got to do something different because this is what this is doing to me. So then they put me on the other and it had the same adverse effect. Huh. So I just so rinse and repeat. I dumped them down the toilet and I just couldn't take wow. them. Yeah. Got so lucky I'm there. Uh, Cause that could be a, that's a big rabbit hole for a lot of people who end up yeah. in some kind of injury. And the next thing you know, you know, they're down that pipe. Uh, and, pain pills and alcohol was my deal, man. Once I found in pain pills, man, it hyper accelerated my alcoholism. Cause it was like speed to me, man. I took it and could drink all night. 
Uh, yeah, I just you know, pimps was never my thing. Uh, you know, I was never uh, funny as it seems is I was never a trustee of modern day chemistry. You know, weed nothing. I just yeah. that was never my, that was never my thing. Never tried it. Never wanted a part of it. The only meds uh, that I was ever on was as prescribed, and I just never took it. You know, uh, it's just my body didn't ever react well to it. So yeah. it was. So just you're very fortunate at some level. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, from what I from what I've heard out of a lot of people, it's yeah. Because I get on that uh, chronic pain train, man, and they start feeding you those opiates, man. There's uh, coming back coming back from that is uh, uh, a a tough road to hoe. And and that's one of the things. And see, I crossed over a lot when I was in the program because I just didn't go to AA. And uh, we'll get we'll get to your acronym here in a little while. But uh, I crossed over into NA too because a lot of the people that were coming to Wednesday nights were were addicts, you know. So it's like, okay, so let me learn about that. You know, I'm one of those people that were 100 percenters. So when I'm going to get into something, I want to get into all of it. I want to know where all the trips are. I want to know where all the traps are. And I want to be fully immersed and involved in this. So I sat around and all that and some of the stories they would talk about, like you were saying, is like, you know, I pop, I pop a couple of pills and then off to the drinking. I'm like, how can you mix the two? I don't get that. <laughs> you know, I'm like, you're taking that shit. And I'm like, I couldn't get past the stuff that it did to me, you know, to, to yeah. want to pick up anything else. Well, my dad lives with me and I watch him. Uh, uh, mom passed away in 16 and he, we decided to bunk up and, uh, and so, but he'll take a half of the, he'll have something happen to him and he'll take a half a little pain pill, you know, and he's in, he's on the couch asleep all day. I got to go up there and watch his chest move to make sure he's still alive. You know, oh, uh, I get it. You give me a couple of them. I'm raking the leaves and vacuuming the house. And <laughs> there's not enough chores in the day for me to do at that point. Yeah. But it's just, uh, yeah, that, those were just, those were never my thing. And it's yeah. just, uh, I did a bit of that too, man. I had friends both sides. And of course I did have the, you know, the, the drug history. I've tried and done everything that there never was. Somebody said, you want to try this? And I said, no. And I liked it all. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, but AA is where I found my home, you know, but I went to a lot of NA meetings and did a bunch of both for a while. And actually that was, you know, it was good for me in the long run <laughs> to, yeah. to be, to, you know, you can't, you can't participate in your recovery too much. No, you can't, you know, and like I said, I always want to try to figure out which, which part of this was going to work the best for me, you know, and it just, uh, uh, but like I said, I, I got hooked up really big, uh, my main, my, my main three was, I was always going out to, uh, Trinity on Tuesday nights Yeah, and, and uh, I went to broad highway when that was in existence, mm-hmm. uh, with Chris and all them. And then, uh, I would go to, uh, Wednesday nights back at the, the aftercare meetings on Wednesday nights. And then I always went to the Saturday night one uh, to stay grounded. I went to the Saturday night one, uh, the inpatient meeting over at the book, mm. because I wanted to remember what it was like yep. day one. So when they brought Keeping all the green. people, yeah. So when all the people came in, you know, that was, I always like to stay that well grounded by yep. whatever we can share with them to help them out, you know. Well, you got to give this away to keep it. So, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, what ended up being a bottom? What did it happen that like knocked you to where to go? Because you said you had some multiple trips of trying. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I drank my way through outpatient like three times and until the it was put forth to me that, you know, you just, we're just not, you, you're a can. 
were you sent there or were you volunteering? You no, were trying I, to go I, get I, well? I, I volunteered for it and everything. And, you know, because. And I'm sent there. Sometimes it's our family, not necessarily legal that sends it there, but she well, says you go get straight or you're out of here or. Well, we, we kind of sat down and had a family meeting and, you know, uh, listening to my son, I had a daughter and a son as they're, they're four and a half, five years apart and watching him was kind of my trigger. And it was like, look, you go do what you need to do to get right. And then we'll back and support you from there. And I'm like, okay. And you know, there was, the marriage was already over. My marriage had basically fallen apart eight or 10 years before that. And, you know, part of it was me. A lot of it was her uh, financial. Well, I mean, I, I'm not going to play the blame game because it takes two, but her, she thieved a bunch of money. Let's mm -hmm. just, let's just leave it there. And uh, that was a straw that broke the camel's back. But uh, it, uh, they say we make people live with us just as sick as we are. Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely, and it just uh, so it was. Uh, I finally went in, and I finally went. Okay, I can't stand myself anymore, and I can't stand who I've become. And like I said, acceptance was a big thing for me, and I couldn't even accept who I was at that point, you know, because I knew who I had been. I knew who I wanted to be, but where I was standing at that particular crossroads in my life, it was, if I want to get here, I don't have a choice. I'm going to absolutely have to break down to do this. And so after my three failures and everything, and it was just, you know, I could feel my son had basically shut me out and I knew that was it. And uh, I remember going to Trinity one night and they were passing a microphone around and I just, I, I fell apart. I, I had something I wanted to say, but when they handed me that microphone, what I wanted to say and what I said was two totally different things. And uh, you've seen that you've been in them, people just crying and falling apart and everything. And I just finally, everything that came out of my mouth was, I am it's just the bottom line of it was I'm lost and I just don't know what to do. And somebody in this room has that's been doing this has got to help me get away from this. And Billy stood up in the back and went, before you leave this fucking room, come get my phone number. Yeah. And Dan, I was so messed up him and Bob, and I should have given you his last name. Uh, he was at a Trinity too. Uh, I they think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I they think. were uh, Jay. Yeah, yeah. Yep. They co-sponsored. I was so screwed up. They co-sponsored me. It took both of them the longest to, to get. And and it wasn't from Dan. It wasn't from lack of will and lack of trying. I just had so much. And I mean, I'm no different than anybody else that's done this, but in my eyes, I had so much in front of me. Doesn't look that way, doesn't it? Yeah. And wanted just to unload so much of this shit as quick as I possibly could that they were like, slow down, slow down. You have a process. Gotta, yeah, we got a process. This has got to take and we got to do it one step at a time. Yeah. And we're not going to rush to the end of this.
But one of my one of my favorite stories to tell on Billy was uh, it was July Fourth, and we were sitting in his office, uh, and he. Uh, I wasn't buying the the higher power thing. I was still in denial because of what I had told you before. And I'm, I'm sitting in there and he just looks at me and goes, look, if you're not going to, you've got to understand this part of it. Because if you don't understand this part of it, there's no sense in going on with this. And I'm like, fine. So, you know, me, I know better. I get up and I go to leave. And he goes, you're leaving? And I went, yeah. So I go to the door and his office and the door's closed and he doesn't say a word. And I get to the door and as I reach for the door handle, he goes, hey, he goes, so you really don't believe in anything higher than you. There's nothing bigger than you in this world. And I went, no. Then he goes, okay, well, I'll see you later. And I went, all right. And I reached for the door and I goes, what do you think you're doing? Then I went, what? And he goes, I said, I'm leaving. He goes, okay, go ahead and open the door. And I reached for the door and I goes, stop. And I went, what? And he's like, don't touch the doorknob. He goes, open the door. And I went, what? And he goes, open the door. And I'm like, I'm trying to, but you keep telling me to stop. He goes, well, open the door, but you don't use the doorknob. And I, I turned around and I looked at him and went, what in the fuck are you talking about? He goes, see, you can't leave this room without turning that doorknob. He goes, see, doorknobs got more power than you got right now. You can't leave this room. He said, so right now, in essence, in Billy's philosophical way, the doorknob is your higher power right now because you can't leave this room without turning that knob. And he just turned out, turned out, looked at him. He goes, now, are you ready to sit back down? And he goes, I just I, proved you. Know, you. Go ahead. And, you know, like, uh, I promise you, Billy, if you asked him about that, that was given to him at that moment to touch you with, you know, uh, he's throwing grabbing straws to try and see what he can do to help you. And yeah. I put the right words in his mouth that made you turn around and sit down. And that stuff's beautiful. And sponsors will yeah. tell you all kinds of stuff that you come. It's like, where'd that and come I was, from? I was just like, wow, man, you know, really? And he goes, seriously, he goes right now, an inanimate object, a lump of metal has got more power than you got right now. And he goes, open your mind up and listen to the things I'm trying to explain to you. And he goes, and it will take hold. And we we did meditation at his house and everything. I did a lot of the step work with him in his swimming pool. Down back. Yeah. And him on a float and me sitting out there in the 95 degree heat, just sweating my ass off and him making fun of me. But, you know, whatever it takes to get through. And at that point in time, I was willing to do whatever it took, you know. I did become sufficiently broken and just wanted to get the hell away from this and never want anything to do with it ever again. And, you know, and it's, it's amazing, Dan, the things that you will draw inspiration from, you know, we were just simply talking about the, the different types of meetings and everything, you know, crossing over. And I wasn't a big social media dude by no stretch of the imagination. And if it hadn't been for my son, I really wouldn't have got into Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. And, you know, my son streams video games for a living. And uh, that, that's his job. That's what he does. And I remember building his first computer with him when he was 18. We built it from the ground up. Man, my yeah, son would love to know how he's doing that because that's all he wants. My 18-year-old son, all he wants to do is be on the video game. Well, I mean, I can I can put it, I can grew up playing them. Here. Yeah, when we get off here, we can I can give you his information for him. So, but yeah, that's what he does. But it uh 
that's kind of funny, you know, cause I mean, I don't know if you did this or not, but, and I had to, in recovery, I was able, you know, I've been sober seven years, but they got, uh, they were eight and 10. I got a 16 year old daughter and 18 year old son. And to think back of the, my, well, who I was before I sobered up, you know, and playing the video games was always something I had to really, you know, cause I don't, you know, how come, you know, what, that's all you do, you know, and, and, and giving him shit because of all he did was play yeah. video games, you know, and, uh, but sober, I was like, you know, I, I'll come to learn, you know, powerless, you know, I don't, yeah. it ain't my job to force him to do something or not, you know, uh, some things clean your room and, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but hadn't to let go of that video game thing. And I remember him one time telling me that, uh, that's what he wanted to do for a living. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's what, that would be. You know, to supplement his income, he was a part-time worker at the Walmart over by our house, so that way he could have money coming in till he could get his subscribers and all that crap going on yeah. to build, build his cash flow up. But that's how he would buy his computer parts, and when it wouldn't meet, that's his pretty cool. He built another one, you know. Yeah, yeah. I remember we yeah. built one too. You know, his you couldn't you couldn't get the computer at least not for the money, but he was buy buy parts and. And made his own. Yep, went on Amazon and when I need one of those and one of those and one of those and put it together and made it work. But but no, that's how I kind of got connected with some of these other guys was actually on Twitter. And the only reason why I was on Twitter was to support my son because that's where he was putting his messages out that, hey, we're going to be streaming today, yada, yada, yada. And then I got to just looking for people, you know, how you just kind of get on and do research. And, uh, so I started, I, oddly enough, that, you know, you and I are close to the same age and sports entertainment was a big thing when we were growing up. And, uh, you know, I was always hooked on that. And I remember uh, I remember following uh, and, and I've already asked for permission for this. So I, uh, and I want one guy I can and one guy I won't. But Sean when he got injured and thought his life was over, uh, he had been in the, the depths of where we'd been. And I mean, his was alcohol and pills and everything. And it almost cost him his complete career. And, uh, then he, he broke his back and he, his life was going to be over and he was losing everything that he had. And, uh, I've read both of his books. One was called, uh, uh, heartbreak and triumph and the other one is called wrestling uh for my life and he goes into you know i watched this guy on tv and this guy is like larger than life and you know there's nothing wrong with him but then he starts telling the stories of the devastating parts of being in this business you're on the road 300 days a year you know you you're you're traveling all the time. You're trying to stay awake. You're trying to stay fit. You're trying to, so here come the drugs, you know, you're trying to sleep. So here comes the alcohol. So it's yep. pills you're and all time. Yeah. You're, you're, you're all, up you're and... all the time. Yeah. You got to perform. You got to do. And you know, the first book was a prelude to the second book. And the second book is he really addresses it. Uh, and he brought the family aspect into it. And he started telling stories and I won't mention his wife or his kids names, but he, he starts, you know, daddy's tired, you know, daddy needs to sleep. And 
they see me he's sitting there popping pills and drinking when they're supposed to be having the family dinner. And uh, his favorite thing is, is making cookie, making cookies on Sundays. And, and then he started sleeping through that. And he's like, you know what? He goes, I just knew I had to do something different. And, you know, he, he's wrote, he's written a couple of books. Who, who, who is it? It is Sean Michaels. Okay. And, uh, you know, he wrote a couple of books. I, he just, he, like I said, the first one was the trials and the tribulation. Yeah. I didn't hear the last name. I don't know if you said yeah. it and I didn't hear it, but you said Sean. And yeah. And he just I figured if he wrote a couple of books, he's okay with us saying who he is. <laughs> yeah. He's and it's just, it, he's, uh, it was just amazing. It, it, it listening to his story and everything. It's just like, wow, you know, there, there it is. It's right there. Cause he drugged the family into it. And he's just like, mm -hmm. you know, his wife was just like, look, you got, you're going to have to do something different because this is now starting to have an effect on the kids. And he finally got into, uh, one of the local churches there. Cause he just started searching for anything and everything he could get his hands on to get away from it. And again, I was still struggling at the time with the whole two things that I struggled with from the start. One, I still kind of struggle with to this day was the higher power aspect of it all. And his breakthrough helped me with mine. Mm. But today I still struggle with that acceptance thing a little bit. I work on it every day, but you know, uh, it is what it is. We all have our, our little struggles with this still, but, uh, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, hell if it's him. So I start going and looking around for other people that I knew ran with him during the day. And then this is when I ran across, uh, Brian James and, uh, Brian was another one that ran in the collective group. There was eight of them that ran together and, as you questioned and I brought forth the, the other day, uh, Brian's entrance part was the acronym, oh, you didn't know your ass better call somebody, but it was more geared towards their egos and who they were. And they had this whole big spiel that they went through. So I got to look in and Brian had gotten into the program about nine months before I did. And I started seeing his little every morning he got up and he was on Twitter and there was some inspirational quote oh, yeah. that he was putting out. And so I started following him and I started liking it. And then we started having small conversations. And, you know, I, and I, I asked for his permission to mention him today. And he's like, yeah, maybe he goes, go for it. And it's just, you know, the things that you reach for. And the things that you do to try to stay centered and you try to draw off of other people. Well, you know, part of this program is, is we pay it forward. We tell what's worked for us and we share that for other people. So I always try to ask what's worked for you. What have you done? What have you tried to do? And he was never sort of sharing. And, you know, he, so that's where I got it from. And then when Brian stepped away from the business, uh, I asked him, I was like, Hey, look, you know, do you, I said, I found a fitting purpose for this. Because where we need, if we don't know, we need to be asking. And I was like, and he used to close all of his quotes with just that acronym. So mm -hmm. I asked him, I was like, hey, is this okay? He goes, ah, dude, feel free. He goes, if it's going to work for you, go, go get it. So every time I post something on Facebook, if it's poignant or something like that, I throw that on there. Yeah. And just, it's well, I started noticing it and I don't know, you know, I don't think we were actually friends until not too long ago, but uh, once I started seeing you on there, I was noticing it was on the tail end of every one of them. And I'm kind of an acro acronym guy myself. And I was like, I need to know what that means. <laughs> yeah. 
but that's what it is. It's just the ba- it's the simple basis is if you don't know, ask. Yeah. yeah. And surely to and God, you know, that's, that's there's somebody the opposite the way we used to operate. Yeah, yeah, surely. I, mean, was, I will figure it out. I don't need any help. It's kind of the 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 proverbial, you know, we don't men don't stop and ask for directions, you know. It's yeah. and 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 we'll get into that, you know. And then this this life here is exactly opposite. I had to start asking people for help, you know, and start actually, and then also, you know, it's one thing to ask for it, right? Right. The big thing is is actually taking the advice, taking it and doing it. <laughs> But, you know, you know, as much as I followed Sean and when he got out of the business for the long stretch that he did before he went back just a few years ago to help train new people, uh, Sean had gotten together with a good friend of his. Uh, he's an attorney, a uh, work comp and a union attorney out of uh, Kansas City. Uh, his name's Keith Mark and Keith. Uh, uh, Keith and Sean started a hunting show. I was a big avid hunter, and uh, it's called too. McMillan. It was on the Outdoor Channel. Look it up. It's called McMillan River Adventures. I, I don't know. Yeah. So I got to be, yeah, I got to be good friends with Keith. So again, start asking questions. You know, start seeing his posts and all this. So I'm following him on there, and you know, everything about Keith is centered around the family and God first. And you know, and it's just like, wow, man, these guys are on to something. You know, and it. uh so then, you know, when Sean went back to the business, uh, MRA kind of became defunct. Keith's got part of it still going. But then Keith started a thing with uh, Ted Nugent. I don't know if you're familiar with Uncle Ted. from his Of course, music. man. That's where I'm, they started. It's called I Hunter. remember him from being a kid and rocking out to Ted Nugent. But later yeah. on, I found out I was actually at a local bow shop down the road here one day. And uh, and he's, I walked in. They said, you just missed him. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, Ted Nugent was just here. <laughs> <laughs> but and, Ted, uh, Ted is now the spokesperson for Keith's new thing. It's called Hunter Nation, and, uh, and it's a big family and God thing. And of course, it's avid hunters and yeah. you know Second Amendment stuff and all that. So and Ted I'm, popped back up on the podcast scene in the hunting world here not long ago. I heard him on a number of different podcasts here just lately. But yeah, so it, you know, and and again, so you know, I I draw from wherever I can draw from to stay centered. In the latest one I did. Uh, uh, I just finished his book. Uh, it was called Wrestling with the Devil, and it was uh, Lex Luger's life story. Oh yeah, and yeah, and he go. I mean, he goes into all of it. He tells about how he grew up and how the drugs started, and the death of Miss Elizabeth, and the the profound effect that that had on him, and then his run-ins with the law, and the problems that that caused him, and how it cost him his life in you know the business and everything else, and then his traumatic uh, spinal cord injury that was just a fluke. So he went from being this great big sculpted perfect individual to this is what i was telling you about how he just lost everything that now you're confined to a motorized wheelchair and you mm-hmm. can't get around and he too defied all odds and uh is walking but now he's paying it back and paying it forward and when he was in prison uh he calls him pastor steve and one the guy just saw something and kept coming and trying to talk to him and trying to talk to him, just be his friend. And he's like, yeah, this guy's going to want to thump me with the Bible and all this. And it took them two years before they even got around to that. 
And then, you know, Lex is like, finally, the guy asked me, and the guy moved in with him, lived with him, and, you know, Lex took on training him and, and everything else, and they became really good friends before the theory of religion actually came up, and it was Lex's idea. He saw a pamphlet in the guy's car, and he's like, I don't understand this. I don't understand this. He kept rereading the same pamphlet, like, I think he said, like, 16 times he read it. And finally, Steve asked him one day, and then it just all came pouring out. And... I know it sounds hokey, but again, wherever you can stay centered in other people. And I tell all this because it's other people's story who has been out there before me and listening to them and reading their stories and go, wow, how profoundly the same this really is. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it, it doesn't deviate. I mean, you and I could sit down and we could share each other's yep, stories. Yep. And it probably circumstances are different, but the uh, story's yeah. the same. It, it, it really is. And it just, uh, you know. It, Whether if you're on top of the world or on bottom of it. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's the it's the trials and tribulations. It's here it is. I've got and that was Lex's big thing is I'm on top of the world and I got all of this, and then now I don't. Yep. What the hell do I do now? You know, and it just <clears throat> it's just amazing to to uh the things that you go through and the things that you you read and you try to understand just to gain that knowledge and you know, last year, uh, I'll share this and a lot of the people that are, I kept this to myself and uh, I reached out to a couple of people that were close to me and I just didn't tell them what was going on. Um, but um, December 20th of this past year, uh, I'm one year cancer free. Uh, I had, it, 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 uh, Dan, it almost killed me. I didn't know what was going on. Uh, in July at work where I was uh, in July, uh, a drunk driver hit me, trying to gain entrance to our property, drove over top of me, dumped me up on the hood of his car, everything. Oh. Uh, yeah, uh, not a real good scene. And uh, I went to the doctor. Well, okay, as we do, I put off going to the doctor. Let me be honest and upfront about that. Uh, and then it got to the point to where I was starting to have trouble in my hip again. And I'm like, uh-oh. So I went to my doctor and went, hey, look, <clears throat> you know my background, you know, have I done something? Is this, have I sped up the end, you know? And he goes, well, let's let's run some x-rays, let's run some tests and everything. And he goes, and, and I'll give you a call. So I went and had an MRI done and everything in my lower lumbar and all that. And within two days, he goes, yeah, it'll be a week or so. We'll get back with you and everything. 48 hours, my phone rings. He goes, you need mm -hmm. to come in here. He goes, you need to come in here. It's and I'm like, good. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I'm thinking, okay, I have, I've screwed something up and here we go. And uh, we go in there and he's like, uh, hey, <clears throat> he's like, there's abnormalities in your bone marrow and you have a disease in your blood. And I'm like, excuse me. And he goes, yeah, he goes, uh -uh, I got a bad back. <laughs> That's all I got. The yeah, bad yeah, back. I can't yeah. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, we got to send you. So he sent me to this oncologist and they started running these tests and they're like, yeah, Brian. And they couldn't find it. That was the thing. They're running CT scans and everything. They couldn't find it. And I got frustrated with this one with my doctor because, I mean, I was missing a lot of work. And I'm like, hey, look, you know, 
here, my, my work is saying, Brian, fill out these FMLA papers, get this day so we can protect you and all that. And he goes, I don't do that. And I'm like, dude, so I changed doctors and uh, shameless plug. I'm seeing Dr. Jonathan Littell here. He's an old uh, Desert Storm doctor. And uh, so John <clears throat> calls me in and, you know, we're going over everything. And uh, I guess I really ought to pause here and back up. Okay, I divorced after 27 years. Okay, after the money issues and uh me being basically held on probation. Uh, and then where the big book says, you know, you will do anything to protect your sobriety. Home became such a poison uh, because of the way I was still being treated by my now ex-wife that I finally had to just go, I can't do this anymore. It's either I'm going to stay sober. Or this is going to legit drive me back to drinking if I stay under this roof. So with the knowing the marriage had already failed years before, uh, that there was no, I mean, I had, I was sleeping in the basement, you know, and had been for 12, 14 years. And so it was just like, I'm done with this. And, uh, so that being said, shoot, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> we talking about the cancer and, uh, and yeah. that, and then you said you needed to go back and you started talking about the divorce and yeah. So, you know, uh, no sweat man i can talk for a second and you can it'll come back to you yeah, after that. you uh you do ring a bunch i always say when i'm on here these bell ringers and it's that same concept you're talking about about us you know are these stories are all the same you know and and that's one of the things why recovery works is because if you stand up there and tell what was happening to you uh you know i sit back here and go i did that too oh that happened yeah. to me too oh you know and if you hang around long enough you'll hear people describe exactly what you're feeling thing is i got i am 100 convinced that i'm the only guy that feels like this you know there's y'all don't understand there's nobody that understands there's something wrong with me and until i get to aa and get into the 12-step community and start talking to these other people who are experiencing and have experienced the same thing and i'm a mess because i did the same thing you did in a sense i went to this men's group that was on tuesday night at the spiritual underground that i'm okay i'm okay i'm okay i'm okay and I yep. wasn't, I was looking at six to 20 years in prison for stealing pills and, uh, and I wasn't okay, but I couldn't say that. And then one day that they said something about a burning desire, you know, and I was a mess that day, man. Cause I was having to go to court and listen to what they were telling me. And that day I uh, broke down in that meeting and did a burning desire and told me, told that group exactly where I was at. And they do what the groups do poured all that love on me. And I've been looking at Christopher Cone for a month or more, wanting him to be my sponsor. And, yeah. uh, and so I didn't come through the Brooks. I didn't have that conflict of interest that a lot of people do, but he never raised his hand to screw and say, hey, who who's available to sponsor somebody right now. And I'd watch. And then he wouldn't raise his hand. And I remember yeah, looking Chris at Darren. Always drink that cup of coffee and then kind of turn and look away. Yeah. Like, yeah, don't look at me. <laughs> yeah. And I saw Darren was raising his hand, you know, and I was thinking maybe I'll ask that dude. And uh, of course, you know, I felt like I was 12, you know, I was 45 yeah. years old in there and I felt like I was 12 years old and I did that burning desire and, and cried and told him where I was at. And directly after that, me and Christopher Cone walked up to me and he said, Hey man, I want to sponsor you. And, uh, and he said, it, but and he had all his conditions on what it was, but uh, you know, here, this guy wanted to sponsor me, wanted, wanted, wanted. When I went in there and poured my heart out, the guy I wanted walked up and, said i'll help you 
Well, that's the thing, you know, and that's the one thing that I just told my new wife's kids is, is like, be careful because, you know, they're, they, they read their little power of prayer books and all that. And they're, they're big on religion and all that. And it, it, I told them, I said, be very careful and it, because they're only uh, 10 and, or 11 and 12. They're at this point, they're too young to know about all this with me. And I keep telling them, so when you get old enough, I'm going to share this with you. I said, but I want you to understand something, kids. Be very careful what you pray for. <laughs> I said, because in my life, that third step prayer, I got told, you better be ready. Because if you ask for it, God going to give it to you. You might not like it, it all, but you're going to, you might not like everything comes with it, but you're going to get it. Yeah. yeah. I've heard so that. I, I, speak. Remember, I remember where I was now. So it's when I back. I knew that would happen. The horror of, of the divorce. But so I'm sitting in Dr. Latell's office and he's going through all this stuff. And he's like, I can't understand why they can't locate this. He goes, I got a friend I want to send you to and everything. And he goes, let me make a phone call. And he steps out and makes a phone call. He goes, yeah, day after tomorrow, I need you in this, this other office. I'm like, great. I'm like now that we got to the end of this, my new wife, Tracy, had been on me on my arm right here on my left arm. And again, here we are on the left arm, uh, in the upper bicep portion, I had developed a, uh, what I thought was just a blister from my shirt rubbing and everything. Cause that's where my short sleeve shirts were rubbing from work. And, you know, I put a bandaid on it. It would go, I'd pop the blood blister. It would go down. It would almost go away. And then stupid me. I'd not put a bandaid on, you know, how we wrestle and shit. So I went, good. Can you do me a favor? Said my wife's been on me here. I was like, can, can you send me to a dermatologist? Oh, yeah. And he, goes, yeah. he goes, yeah, sure. He goes, what's going on? He goes, I do dermatology work out of here. And he goes, what, what, what gives? And I rolled my shirt up and I went this, I need to get this taken care of. I said, but the treating this cancer and everything is far more important to me. And he just looks at me and John always carries a laptop and he sits down and he goes, hold on a second. He starts typing his laptop and he spun it around. He goes, we found it. Wow. And I went, what? And he goes, that's it. And it's got to come out. And he goes, give me your arm. And he grabs my arm and he starts pinching and moving. And I'm like, what's wrong? And he goes, we got to get it away from the bone. And he goes, Brian, he goes, it's, he goes, I need you to do a urine test and everything. And I did. And he goes, yeah, your kidneys have started to shut down. He goes, you're dying. And he goes, how long has this been here? And I'm like, like two years. And he goes, you've got to be shitting me. And I'm like, no. And he goes, it's got to come out. And uh, I stayed awake through the surgery. They did it outpatient. Oh shit! And yeah, yeah. They shot. They shot my whole arm up where I couldn't feel anything and everything. I don't and think I, I could hold still. I laid there while they cut it open. They took a. And again, sorry for all those that are home that can't yeah. see, but they took a section. It was between my bicep and my tricep muscle. They took a section out, corded out. It was about that big. That's about as big as your middle finger or something. Yeah, my, my little, little finger. finger from, yeah, my yeah. little finger. And I can't tell for sure, but Brian looks like a pretty good sized dude from here. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I go. I'm six one, go two thirty seven. Yeah, I'm still at my age at fifty four, uh, still bench over three hundred pounds when I want to put my body through it. But I work out more just to stay healthy and stay alive now. Yeah, in yeah, this yeah. yeah. But I finally decided that. to start taking care of me. So with that, what was it? It was, it was, it was a cancer, like a skin growth. cancer or no, it was actually a cancerous growth. It was down in, was in the inside of it. Okay. Yeah. And it had gotten what it done. It had done. It had gotten in my bloodstream. Yeah. Spreading. And it was, and it was metastasizing. Killing. Yeah. And he's just like, he goes, I don't know how you're even functioning. 
He goes, your platelet levels, your blood levels. He goes, Brian, you're so fucked up. He goes, I don't even know how you're doing what you're doing. And I'm like, I just, I was tired. I said, that's the only really, I had no appetite and I was tired. I'm getting, I was weak. I'd get in the gym. I couldn't work out, you know, and everything. And, you know, God, God love her, Tracy. She's like, Brian, she goes, I told you something. Yeah. Told you. And you just kept putting it off. And it's like, you know. I love it when people say, I told you so. I just made well, yeah. it. <laughs> God love her. God love her. She's put up with so much shit with me. Tracy and I have been together for seven years, but we just recently got married. Uh, we're newly weds as of June the 9th. We went to uh, the Patriots. Congratulations. Yeah, I appreciate that. It, it was uh, it was one of those things. Uh, I wasn't looking. She wasn't looking. Uh, we bumped into each other. Uh, we were both working at the prison in LaGrange at the time. And uh, what a wonderful woman. And, you know, she, I've got the support I need now that I didn't have before. So let's just leave that there because I'm not going to judge yeah. or slam anybody. Yeah. But it's, Trace, critical, it's a critical aspect of this, man. Uh, that's what Trace, we get in our friends and fellowship. And if we have family at home or a significant other that can provide that support, it means a ton. She, uh, when I sat down and I told her, I said, look, I got to tell you something. And I, I, because I knew what she had been through and she had been with an addict and everything. And that's what ended their relationship. And I was like, I got to tell you, I said, I got to tell you up front, this is who I am. This is what I do and everything. And she was really big on me coming down here and getting involved down here. And John, uh, my doctor is really big on the program and was big on throwing me information to go to for meetings down. There's a West side meeting down here. That's really good. And, uh, all of that, yeah, but a ton of recovery in Florida. I mean, it's everywhere uh, really, but, uh, Florida for sure. But it's, uh, you know, I still, uh, I still zoom on Tuesday nights when I can back home, uh, to Trinity with Coleman and all them guys. And, uh, try to keep in touch, but I mean, it's been a, you know, back to the pits of it, Dan, it was just, it was the darkness in the, the depths of where I was in, I, to this day, and this is what I go back to, you know, not to offend anybody because everybody has their own idea of what a higher power is, but God kept me around for a reason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dan, been in this, be going on 11 years, like you said, uh, I still don't know what that reason is. Other than to tell the story from time to time, to sit down and talk to it. And the thing is, is I know we got a very short period of time. There's so much more to this story yeah. uh, than what I've shared. Well, that's with one of the reasons why I like to do this, because, you know, you go up to a podium and you get 30, 40 minutes, maybe. I like this long form a little bit where we actually get a significant chunk of a guy's life or a gal. I just don't know how I really don't, other than being protected, I don't know how I live through this. I really yep. don't. That's another you know, thing is that, you know, we, 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 we get to a point where we think that if there is a God, he's left me, you know, and, uh, is not, not been protecting me, you know, and, and it's, it's the, it's the, it's the footprints in the sand thing, you know, yep. and, I'm uh, carrying you know, that. yep. Yep. And just, I was being carried in and the things that I can look back on and see how my, you know, how I was protected that I took for granted back then. Uh, but I mean, my, my story, I mean, it's, it's not rosy. I mean, I do not have a relationship with my kids. Uh, my son and my daughter are still very bitter and angry with me over, yeah. uh, over everything. They, uh, 
and again, I don't, I, I try to take that high road because I tried to dance around uh, without dragging somebody else's name down in this. Uh, I gave my kids the same answer that my dad gave me, which was one day you'll understand this. One day you will figure this out. And I told my son, so when I filed for divorce, it's a matter of public record. You go read it. I said, but that's your mom. I'm not getting in that. And, you know, they, they play the blame game still, which is their choice and everything. And do I miss my kids? Sure, I do. Uh, my daughter went and got married. I found out through the grapevine she got engaged. Mm-hmm. found out through the grapevine she got married. I wasn't invited. Uh, her, her husband, uh, Tracy, and again, this is how supportive Tracy is. She goes, Brian, I know how this hurts. And I get it. And she goes, but what's the harm in offering up to see if they need anything to see if they're registered anywhere. Cause you, I'm not telling you to go reach out to Kayla, talk to her husband. So I found him on Facebook and I had him on messenger. I'm like, Hey, this is who I am. Yada, yada, yada. I don't want to start anything. Just wanted to know if y'all wanted anything, if you needed anything and all that. And he was very receptive. God love him. You know, he's like, look, Brian, he goes, I'm going to tell you. He goes, Kayla still feels a certain kind of way about you. He goes, I come from a big family. And he's like, look, he goes, I keep telling her, you only got one dad. And she, he goes, eventually, one of these days, hopefully I'll work this out. And I was like, look, I appreciate that. I said, I really do. I said, because you don't even know me. I'm deeply touched by it. I said, but do understand from where I stand in this, your happiness with her is far more important to me than you trying to get her to reconnect with me. So just try to keep yourself out of the middle of it so that your relationship remains happy. And I said, if God's will be done, she will eventually want to, because one of the things Bob always told me, because he knows that's a sticking point with me was Brian, sometimes being the best dad that you can be is just not being there. And he goes, you keep the door open ever so often to let them know you're still out there. You don't push it. Hey, just checking in that type thing. If you ever want to talk and he goes, and then you leave it alone. Great advice. And, you know, and that's just, that's kind of where I've been with my, my kids. You know, when I first moved down here, I was sending birthday cards and Christmas cards and shit like that. Still trying to be the good dad. And then it got to the point to where there was, no connection, no reciprocation and everything, which is good, which is fine. What's well, not good, but it's fine, you know, because again, this is their path. This is the things that they have to deal with and they have to make the decision if I'm ever going to be a part of their life. And at this point in time, it's no. And, yeah. but I've got Tracy, I've got her kids. Uh, I was from the PTSD issues, Dan, I promise you, I was never going to win father of the year awards. Uh, from the isolations and the shift and the horror that I put my family through. Uh, But when I got around Tracy and her kids, they were four and five. So I've had a chance to, there's a a 12-year-old boy and an 11-year-old set of twins, one boy and one girl. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's a second chance. Yeah. Well, I like to look at it as sponsor talks about balancing the karmic scales. You know, I get to put a little bit more sand on my side of the scale here. I know over here, I I did what I did, but I can be, I can be a good dude today. 
I'm trying to be the best person I can possibly be for them and be there for them in whatever capacity it is. And sometimes it is leaving them alone. Sometimes it is letting, you know, mom take the lead and mom run everything instead of co-parenting and, and taking that back seat and then just sit and having to sit back and watch it all, you know, then. Yep. I have a little of that, you know, my kids, we used to have 50, 50. And like I said, they're 16 and 18. And, uh, they didn't spend very many days in 2021 at my house. Uh, but I just got to detach from that be here. You know, they know who to call when they need their car fixed. No, and, there's, and, and I do that. I show up, suit up and show up when I'm asked to. And, uh, you know, everything else will work out the way it does. You know, I think it's, true. I think it, we went through a reparation thing where we repaired a lot uh, in my early recovery and stuff. So I don't think they're hanging on to much anymore, but uh, like, I really don't, but there's still that, what you, you know, it's that, you know, it's that trauma that just won't lift off of them. You know, someday they're going to have to do their work to figure out, you know, how to, how to get yeah. back. And it's just, you know, like I said, I just, I, I keep the doors open. I mean, uh, like I said, I still follow my son on social media and all that. And he puts little things out there and, you know, he put it out there that apparently he was hitting bad health wise. Uh, but of course I'll go to his direct message. I'm, I don't ever out anything out in the public and Hey, look, you know, whether you, you know it or not, I keep what I, I promised you, I would keep an eye on you. I'm worried about you. If you need anything, you just need to talk. Just please take care of yourself, whatever the doctors are telling you. Just from experience, just do what they tell you to do. And if you need anything, my number hasn't changed. I dropped the phone number again. Do I hear back? No. But it's just like taking Bob's suggestion. Sometimes not being there. Sometimes you just let them know you're there. So Right. Yep. I, you know, I, the sixth I, sense we get, we get an intuition. I feel like I have an intuition today when I know when to when to talk and when to keep my mouth shut. I'm yep. a lot better at that today than I ever have been. And uh, yeah, man, so it's just shooting up and showing up and, but yeah, and you know, the, God handle the rest. It, you know, I feel like after everything I went through and the shit that I put people through, you know, I had 192 people on my four step <laughs> and I was lucky. And only four people told me, yeah, I hear you. Don't ever shadow my doorstep again. So I feel like I got pretty fortunate in, in that respect. And then, you know, for God to put somebody like Tracy in my life, and, and I will go on record and say this, uh, she's 15 years younger than I am. And, you know, it just, uh, she is a wonderful supporting woman. I couldn't ask for anything any better. Uh, she backs me. She always has my best interest at heart. Uh, she knows where my insecurities lie. She knows where my anxieties are and she works with me on them, you know, and don't get me wrong. She's got her own issues too. And, uh, it, it's a give and take, you know, I back her and support her and, you know, uh, it, it, it's gotten us where we are today. And, you know, uh, we were fortunate enough, you know, on my Facebook page, that picture there, uh, like I said, we went, uh, we spent two weeks in Hawaii, you know, cool. I, I, would, I hadn't been there since I'd been in the Navy in the, in the late eighties. And she, uh, that was Tracy's dream. And we had planned it uh, two years ago. We, we planned it in June of 2019. And then her grandmother who raised her passed away. 
and then uh, we had some uh, other well COVID. And then, so we had two years to build all this up. So we went to Oahu and stayed there for uh, 12 days yeah, cool. and uh, ended up in, you know, the, 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 that's another thing that it was really a, a spiritual thing was meeting uh, the lady that uh, from one of the local tribes who did our wedding. We did it. We did a Hawaiian wedding. We didn't, you know, it was just me and her awesome. and it was really nice. And she sat down and she explained it all and uh, the whole songs and everything that came with it and the meanings of it from the islands. And it, it I, dude, I just, I cried. I, I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> it was a deep, it was a really deep, for me, it was more than just the wedding. It was a deep spiritual connection yeah. to these island people and the, the, thing, the things that they deeply believe in. And I keep circling back with you on this, Dan, to the things that it's not just, and I got it right here with me, but it's not just the big book. It's wherever, you, I feel like wherever you can draw from to stay centered. Absolutely. You know, yep. that was just my springboard out of the sickness. And I still lean on that big book and I still use it to teach new people. But um, this is about continuing to enlarge our spiritual life or to continue to find these things that that do that, you know, keep you centered, create those pieces where you actually, you know, uh, I mean, how cool is that? That Like, I think that and like at one point in your life, there's no way you could have had like those kind of emotions <laughs> there. No. Right. And no. how we can do that. You know, I can do that today, you know, and, and let myself be seen. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it makes a ton of sense, man. You know, that was, that was, that was the hardest, that was the hardest thing that, you know, for me to show emotion because, you know, I was raised by my uncle and it was this big hard dude. And it was, you know, I remember when my cousin got killed by a drunk driver, how ironic that was Uh, on mother's day, my senior year of high school, I remember standing in the, and he was one of the ones, the guys that I looked up to and he uh, in the garage group. And I remember standing in the funeral home and the overwhelming sorrow that hit. And I started to cry and my uncle walks up to me and he grabs me and he goes, Hey boy, and I'm like, what? And he goes, take his shit outside. Yeah. I went, what? And he goes, we don't do that in here. Take his shit outside. He goes, we don't show weakness in here. And that's where it started with me. But, you know, now that where I am in my life spiritually in in where I am centered and everything, and then where I've got Tracy with me now, I mean, I just... I've sat down, you know, my dad's gone. I, I really don't have anybody in my life anymore other than my stepmom who's 13 and a half hours away. God love you, uh, Sharon. And, you know, uh, I get overwhelmed and I'll be in the gym working out and it'll hit me and I'll just start crying. And for whatever reason, Tracy never comes in that gym when I'm working out unless she comes in to go, how long do I got before you're done so I can get dinner going? And, Almost every single time that hits me, she walks through the door. Hey, yeah. what's going on? What's going on with you? And before I would never share anything. And now it's just like, hey, you know, I don't know where I come from, but you know, this is what's going on, you know. But uh, you know, I told you the cancer story, Dan, because and it wasn't for a sympathy thing, it was and I kind of got off track on it. It was because I've lived in that poor, pitiful me aspect from the injuries to the trauma to everything else that that was my first one to is, okay, here we go again. Where's the nearest liquor store? It's time to get drunk. Mm. You know, I got to hide from this. 
with Tracy's support, with the support of this program and everything, I walked through it and it never entered my mind. And people that are listening to this go, well, dude, you got 10 years in. It shouldn't. You're never safe. Yeah, you're, you're, never, you're never fucking safe with this thing. Well, and because just, it, it just, it hides from you. And it'll catch you at your weakest. Yep. One of my favorite things I used to tell everybody in the new program, you know, in the new, uh, in the aftercare programs and all that, the people that were going in, I'm like, if you don't think that fucker's not out in that parking lot doing push ups and getting bigger and stronger, waiting for you, yep. your currency. Yep. You got to outthink it and you got to stay out in front of it. Yep. Yep. And, you know, life is going to happen and you're yep. going to have things happen. You're going to get sick. You're going to lose loved ones. You know, this stuff is just life, right? And the ability today to be able to, you know, walk through this in a healthy manner, you know, not causing any damage, uh, standing up, owning whatever's going on around me. If that means showing emotions, I get, I can do that. You know, I can be a human being today. And, uh, and, and if I see anything go on and over and over, and that is, you know, you always have these things when early recovery says, if this would happen to me, I don't know if I could stay sober. If this would happen to me, I don't know if I could say sober. And then you have a big thing happen to you and you walk through it and it wasn't even, a, you know, that wasn't even on the list of things to think about. Uh, we walked through it in a healthy manner. You know, yep. And see, that was, was my thing. It used to be all about me. Oh, yeah. yeah. Self-centered, and, selfish. That's it. And when this hit me, when this hit me, my first thought was, oh, my God, because Tracy was working when I got the news. And I'm like, my first thoughts were, oh, my God, what about how bad is this? And what about Tracy? What about her kids and the promises that I had made these people? And they put their faith in me to be here for me to take care of them. It was nothing. It had nothing to do with me. It was all about your thoughts turn to others, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. the opposite. That's one of the promises. (laughs) It's it's, that's that's. And again, you know, the laundry list of people that I gave, you know, and one person that I, I left out of this with the cancer deal was Keith's brother, Kevin, Mark, who is a 40, in, been in the business for 40 years as a school teacher, is an educator who lives out in Utah, and he's a cancer survivor. And so I reached out to him one day, we, we discuss sports on Twitter all the time. And I was just like, hey, can I ask you a personal question? And he goes, yeah. So we started direct messaging each other. He goes, Brian, here's where I, here's how I be mentally. And he goes, here's how I got through it. You know, and, and I'll leave it with this because I know we're probably just about out of time. And it's just uh, the running joke with Frank and Coleman and Billy and Bob and uh, God rest his soul, Dick um, and Burns and all them out there. Uh, I was always the farmer. Oh, really? Yeah, the wind quit blowing. Yeah, you know, yep. you know, the story. Yeah, that's that, it. Was, that was that when I entered this program. That was uh, no matter what I was trying to get accomplished. They're like, yeah, there's the farmer again. Yeah, the wind quit blowing. Like Brian, you ain't looking at the rest of it. Yeah, they're like, you're not going to get through this unless you look at the rest of it. And you know, God love you know. I, uh, I'm so happy, you know, people have asked me, would I change anything? And, you know, Dan, I wouldn't because the man that you're talking to now wouldn't be sitting here if I went back and tried to change. Am I sorry for some of the things I did? Yes. 
Am I sorry for the harm that I've caused people? Yes. Am I sorry for some of the unjust lives that I took? Yes. That put me on the path to destruction? Yeah. But the man I am today and the person that I am now allowed to be for Tracy and her family, I wouldn't change any of it. Yep. And you know, people, a lot of people look at it and go, well, you know, that's kind of egotistical. No, really, no. it's not. It's not. It's it's what has cultivated me and made me into the human being that I am today. Yep. And then you I, had to I, go through that stuff. That's what got you here, you know, and things are so good right now that, uh, you know, you hear that one. That's the number one funny things you hear early around the room. Some people say they thank, thank God I'm an alcoholic. And you go, what? And, yeah. Um, but sooner or later, you keep coming back. You uh, find out what they mean. I mean, I, I use I use this program all over the place. I mean, the team that I built at work uh, in the security department there, I, I was the primary hiring guy. Uh, I was hiring a lot of uh, skilled people, but they were young. Uh, the youngest kid was 21, and mm. I think the oldest was like 28. So these people are like my kids, and they're going through these problems in life and everything else. I'm like do you want a suggestion? And I'm pulling shit out of the big book and out of life experiences and all this. And they're like, where do you get this from? And I'm like, if you only knew. <laughs> yep. 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 These principles are solid, man. And, uh, and you get to have that opportunity to mentor these younger people, you know, and, and help, you know, that's one thing is you said about, uh, don't know if I found my purpose yet. You said at one point, you know, uh, I, I what I'm hearing is you're living your purpose every day. Uh, we don't know what maybe our final end run is or whatever, but, uh, you know, I believe we're all put here to help, help the others, you know, that's help yeah. other people, whatever that means. If that's your wife, if that's stepkids, if that's people at work, people in the program, you know, it says that 12 step is to help other alcoholic kind of thing, but I really think it's to help others, period. I need to be I of service to the people about me. Yeah, I think it, I, and, and I really believe in that, you know, paying it completely forward when you don't want nothing in return. I have to yeah. have that. It's an element. Yeah. Of, I believe it's an essential element of a happy life or, you know, I don't know if happy's right, but uh, you have to be doing that someplace in your life. Yeah. And these kids at work, they're like, man, what can I do to repay you? I'm like, nothing. Yeah. I'm like, just build on it. That's all you need. Just build on it. And keep going. Yeah. No doubt. And like, you don't want, I'm like, I don't want a thing. Just build on it. Yeah, I remember wanting to pay my sponsor, wanting to take him out to eat, wanting to. Yeah, and what's he, what do he say? Hand passes forward, give it to other people, and uh, thankfully, uh, the universe has sent me a, quite a few guys and the opportunities to do that with, and it's the single most fulfilling thing that I do is to walk people through this work and watch them come from that broken down edge of divorce. Kids don't like them, you know, whatever and uh, unemployable and then watch them bloom into fruit fruitful human beings, you know, and watch that happen over and over again as a result of doing these simple little things we do. It's all it takes. Simple little practices every day. Yep. And it all, it's all a practice, you know, every day I'm practicing, you know, it's a meditation. Uh, the whole shoot match is, is practice prayer, um, this deal here we have where we, uh, when I came in, well, first off I came in and they told me that I was spiritually sick and I thought that they told me I wasn't getting enough religion. You know, that's what I heard. 
Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and, and I was, I wasn't practicing anything, but I was still uh, offended that they cast such aspersions on me. And then when they started telling me that I get to have his own conception, I get to make up my own, I get to have my own conception of God. Uh, And I thought that doesn't work. You know, you can't, you got to get in that box or that box or this box. You know, we've already got all these bases you got to stand in. You got, I'm going to have to join one and I don't know which one. And then find out the truth is, is I get to have my own conception. And then uh, I think even more importantly than that, I'm not judged for what I choose for how my conception is. Cause that's what the world does. The world judges. Nope. If you're not, you know, in the right religion, right. Uh, you're, 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 you're going to hell or your, your soul is, uh, is, is, uh, destined to burn and to come here and start allowing this thing to grow in me and be allowed to do my own walk, you know, and we don't, you know, I have a, I have a personal relationship with something. I don't know what it is, but I keep attached to it and keep on talking to it. My life seems to be going pretty good or actually going better than I could have ever imagined. The book says that too, you know, the, these things that have happened are more than we could have ever wished for. And, um, but we had to go through what we had to go through to get here. Okay. There's no, uh, it's an interesting thought sometimes to think about, you know, everybody has their deals, right? Everybody, mm-hmm. what it is, you know, and I'm almost convinced that the, the, my job in life is to slay the dragon, whatever it is in my life, and then start showing people how I slayed. It. That's it. And that's, like my, that's my primary baseline thing to do in life, go through problems and help other people go through the problems that I made it through. It's a, that is all there is to, you know, the, the key term, you know, you got to, you got to give it away to keep it. Yep. You know, and and I, like, I did. I had one of those kids asked me at work one day. So like, so I take it you're really religious. I was like, don't, don't confuse spiritual with religion. Yeah. And they're like, what? And I'm like, there's a big difference in being highly spiritual and being religious. Yep. And I said, okay. I said, do I said, I'll go this far with you. Do I believe in God? Yes. I was like, do I dust a pew off with my ass every Sunday? No. No. I don't either. <laughs> don't need it. Know where I can find it. Yep. And in the yeah. same breath, you know, you could be one of us. And I know lots of guys that do. You sure. know, and, and it's working for them. It's working for them. And they don't judge me and I don't judge them. And you know, like I said, I think that's the secret key to the universe. Uh there wouldn't be wars. And a whole lot less tragedy in this world uh, if everybody could allow everybody else their own conception of higher power. Absolutely. And see, that's the difference from the guys that I drew from. You know, Brian is deeply involved in this program. Okay. The spirituality part of it and all that. Yet Lex and Sean are so immersed in the religious aspect of it and they're in their church and go on these tours and, and to tell their story. So, again, it's just whatever part of it that you grasp a hold of that helps get you through. Yeah. You know, and it all doesn't have to be the same for all of us. And it doesn't have to certain. stay the same. No, it doesn't. And you know, it's it, a constant evolution. Important. Right. You know, who's to say that, you know, six months to a year from now that uh, I find out that this part of it isn't working and I'm in church every Sunday. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> dusting off a pew with my ass here a little while. Wouldn't be real surprised, you know, you don't, you never know, but you nope. go, you go to what works. Yep. You know, like we were talking before we started this, you know, and you go with what works. And if it's not working, you turn around and go the other way. Yeah. You know? 
I so, could never get that concept. It's such a simple concept to me today. And no, it is. You know, I just keep on banging my head against that wall trying to get through it. Yeah, I, I never did understand it. I do now, but to a degree, you know, I'm never going to say I completely got it because that there there goes the fall if you do. Yeah. But you know, to this point in my life, you know, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much balanced on wherever God thinks I'm supposed to be, I'm right there. Yeah. Let's yep. just let's put it like that, you know, and uh, I enjoy where I'm at right now. So your occupation, you know, things, things are changing. You know what? And, and, and I will, I will become fully transparent. You know, I, I was working this job for this company, which I won't mention uh, building this department up and everything. And it'd been there for about three years. I'd left the, uh, counterterrorism uh, department there at Disney to help out a friend of a friend uh, who was in need of some help to pull this program out of its pits and um, bring law back to the wild west from the wild west as it were and after he left this job became so thankless and overwhelming and I kept talking to Tracy about wanting to leave it and wanting to leave it. And don't get me wrong. It was a very lucrative job and it paid well. And I found myself when Tracy was working, there was, we always talked on my way to work and on my way home. And I found myself back immersed in prayer on days when she was working and we couldn't talk. And I'm like, you know, finally there's that third step prayer creeping up. And I'm like, God, you're just going to have to, I, I can't do this on my own. You're going to have to show me a way out of this. I was like, show me that it's going to be okay and put me on it. You know, I will just, I'll follow it. The 15th day of December, we were in the middle of a 16 year old lost child mm-hmm. on our property. Our property is 200 acres, big, 97 buildings, 3,300 active rooms. It's a huge, huge property. And, uh, I went to go meet with the, uh, cause law enforcement was on the property and all the deputies were there and I had met with them and the director had been in and out. And as I was passing by his office, I looked at his secretary and I went, is he in? And she goes, yeah, where are you headed? I was like, I'm going back to meet with the mom. And keep in mind, Dan, I've been praying on this nine, 10 months, you know, and she goes, do you want to talk to him? And about that time, his, his office door comes open and he waves me in. He goes, come here. Mm-hmm. And I come walking in. There's a lady from Human Resources sitting there. And I come walking in. And I went, hey. And he goes, you got a minute? And I'm like, that's about all I got. I'm going back to meet with this mom. And kind of got a thing going on here. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, yeah, I heard about that. And he goes, uh, where are we at on it? So I briefed him. And as I'm briefing him, I sit down. And he goes, well, he goes, I need to discuss something with you. And I'm like, yeah, what's up? And he looks at the lady. And she goes, Brian, she goes, uh we've had a couple of meetings and we decided we're going to part ways with you. Mm-hmm. And I went, what? Never been written up, never had a discipline problem on any level, any type, no nothing. And, and it, I was so calm and cool with it because I knew. Yep. I knew. And my whole plan was, was to go out and get this experience so I could pro- eventually, because my lifelong dream is as hokey as it sounds was because when I first got out of the military, all of our family vacations were down here at Disney. And the running joke with my family was, how long is it going to say dad take before he goes, when can we move here? It's always been my dream to come here and retire here in Florida and work for Disney. And partially that dream had come true when I got injured up there. 
And uh, so I went, can anybody explain it to me? They never gave me a reason. They just like, we're doing this. Okay, fine, whatever. Turned all my stuff in, hit Tracy up and went, hey, they let me go. Turned around on my way home, pulled up job website, and guess who's hiring? And I reapplied, and they hired me back. And so I will not leave that place again. I will promote my way up back through. It only took me six months to get into the counterterrorism program. So I will work my way back up into there. And this is where I will retire from. So God provides, man. It's yep. just you, you got to let him. But again, you like I told her kids, be careful what you ask for. Yeah. <laughs> because he's in one way or another, he's going to give it to you. And I just... My thing was because Tracy and I were on the cusp of buying a house and everything, and I did not want to give up that job for yeah. uh, because, because that, that money looked really good on, on a contract. And but again, we have found another way to do it. Yep. And so we'll buy a house this upcoming spring and we'll move like we were planning on it. And you know, it, it Dan, it's just if you apply the traditions and the steps and you work it. It works out. It really does. You just got to put faith in it. Yep. You really do. You yep. got to put your own ego on that back burner. You got to put yourself in the back seat. You got to let your higher power drive the show. And you got to put your own faith in it and go with it. Yeah. Makes me yep. think of a little thing that I talk about. It's like riding on a tandem bicycle with my higher power. He'll let me steer. But he won't mm -hmm. pedal. No, nope. <laughs> it's up to me to pedal. You, you're gonna and, do uh, the work, and I want him to stop him on the side of the road. I want him to pull over and show me the road map, you know. But that ain't my job. Uh, no, nope. let them navigate. I had a very similar thing, you know. And it's funny that you sit here that you know I sit here and talk to people. But uh, I'd worked for an engineering firm here in Louisville for 28 years, and my heart just wasn't in it anymore. But my pay was up there. And uh, the paid vacations and the 401k and the health yep. insurance. And, and I had my arms firmly wrapped around that security post. And uh, on uh, March 8th of 2019, they did like the VCU. Yeah, come here. Yep. And they sent me on my what? way. And uh, yeah. it's the best thing that happened to me, though. Now I'm self-employed. I do got this wood shop in my backyard. I just love to do woodwork. That's really where my heart is. And I run around handymanning for people and do my own schedule, do fine financially, and I'm a whole lot happier. Well, and that's the thing. Tracy kept going, Brian, this job is starting to change you from who you were. She goes, it is getting to you so bad. She goes, the negativity that is starting to come out of you. She goes, I don't know if you're recognizing it. She's like, you're honestly becoming a product of your environment. And I was like, yeah, I was like, but, and I kept stretching out. Tracy, we get that contract for this house. I got to get you this house. I promised you I'd get you this house. And she goes, Brian, I don't know if you're going to make it that long. And it's just, she goes, I'll support you. She goes, you walk away, I'll support you. She goes, I'm supporting you in it now. If you want to go in and put your two weeks in, go put it in. And I just, I couldn't let go of it. And I just finally, God just went, okay, you won't, I will. Yeah, that's will exactly it. what happened with me too, man. He said, because it's, to me, it was, I, I took it as the fact that the man was going, you keep telling me you don't want to be there. You keep telling me you, you 
you like the work, but the politics and the problems and the corrupt, Same corrupt, thing. corrupt as you want to be. And I'm just, he's like, you keep telling me this, but you won't take that step. So if you're not going to take that step, fine. You've asked me to take it. Here's, here's your path. Yeah. Yeah. Get on it. You probably, you said you would go get on it. Yeah. So I worked out great, man. They gave me a really nice severance package, paid for my insurance for a while. I was collecting <laughs> unemployment. I mean, I got a, I got a sweet deal coming off of that. I mean, for eight months, I was making more money, not working than I was making when I was working. Hell, that's the one thing I asked him. I was like, so can I file for unemployment? She goes, well, that's your right. If you want to, I was like, y'all going to fight it, aren't you? And she just kind of shrugged your shoulders. I went, okay. I was like, I'm not even going to worry about it. Yeah. My, my, my employer urged me to file for home unemployment. And I didn't think you could, I didn't make any sense to me to be collecting my paychecks and file for that. But well, severance the system is set severance, up with that. Yeah. Severance is different than yeah, you I found that out. Uh, but yeah, it's just, uh, but I, I was just really shocked, you know, and I, I called my old director, the guy that hired me there and, you know, they've got something going and he goes, so you going back? And I'm like, yeah, I was like, I've already interviewed and they, they've offered me the job and it'll be about two weeks before I get ready to get started and all that. And I said, so, and he goes, well, he goes, I've got, a, I got some stuff in the works and he goes, and I've already told my boss about, you know, I'd like to have you come work with me. And I'm like, Jim, I've already, I said, I'm telling you, I'm not leaving that place ever again. I was like, you know, they, uh, the insurance is cheap. The retirement packages for that place is sweet. And I said, I just, it's always been my dream. And I was like, yeah. God put me right back where I wanted to be. Yeah, or bad, bad bad as, right back where I'm supposed to be. Right. I was, as bad as I wanted to leave, man, there was still that twinge in my gut though, you know, but I don't act on it today. You know, I don't, yeah. I, I'm cool. It's all right. You know, I don't, I don't do that, but man, I still remember the shock after working place 28. Yeah. I worked there all my adult life, man. I started working there when I was 20. Yeah. You're, and you know what, you're right. And I, I got to follow you on that because, you know, my team is going, Oh my God, Brian, the rumors and the things that they're saying and all that. I'm like, guys, put your head down. I was like, look, I was like, uh, I said, any other sports fans is like, you know, you remember the Joe Paterno thing? Everybody can lay stuff at a dead man's feet when he can't defend himself. I said, y'all will start to see what that place is really about now that I'm not the manager in between you guys and the uppers. I was like, you'll see what the place is really about. The true colors will show. Six of them have already left. Wow. Yeah. They're like, yeah, we, we can't do this. We didn't realize what you were protecting us from. And I'm like, yeah. Kind of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's what I liked what I was doing, but all the, all the corporate BS is what out of there. I loved, I loved the investigatory work. I loved working. I mean, I, I covered everything from uh, domestic violence to dead bodies, to auto theft, to, I mean, you name it, to drugs. It was like, this place was so big. It was like, it was working in a city. Yeah. And, you know, you like were the, being the uh, sheriff. Yeah. And, you know, and it, but it was, it, it, I loved the work, but the, the thing is, is the corruption got to me, the negativity got to me. And the, the, the big part about it without trying to sound too judgmental is just the sheer hypocrisy in the place. You know, we want you to fix a, but we're not going to give you the stuff to fix a, but then yep. when something happens with a, we're going to come yell at you because you haven't fixed a. Yeah. It's like, guys, you, you can't have it both ways. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh. Better uh, went to sigh. 
No, it just, it just, like I said, the, the things that we, you reminded me of it, the things that we used to act on in the, the information that these guys are passing on to me. And I'm just like, guys, just let it go. Yeah. Just let it go. I was like, you all know who I am. You know what I'm made of. Let them tell their story. Hugh, he, how's the phrase go? Uh, he who wins the battle writes history. I was like, so, you know, or he who wins the war writes history. And I was like, so they're going to write history because they won the war. And I yep. said, so let, let them. Yeah. Uh, but just don't say anything about it. I said, just, y'all keep it to yourselves. And I, they were gracious enough. I mean, this, I felt sorry for a couple of the guys because the team, half the team was off on the weekend and the other half called out. And they all mm. took me and Tracy out to dinner one night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to thank me and they're like yeah. you know they're, they're like your money's no good here and you know so they paid for everything but it was, it, it was a good time but you know i just as, as good as things like that make you feel that again where i'm at in all of this in the program is still working on that acceptance factor you know i still do i work on it every day uh being accepted or accepting other stuff both both, both. acceptance is in the nutshell is the whole is both directions my, I can yeah it, is my one is my one uh downfall in this program it's the one that i really diligently work on all the time is trying to uh consistently accept things for what they are look at it can I bring anything positive to this? No, I can't. Stop looking at it. Stop trying to fix, manage, and control it and let it go. And then, you know, and it, you know, a lot of people will find it hard to believe that at 54 years old, you're still trying to be accepted. Yeah. And it, it's just, it, it's, you stated early, early on in this, it's the level of, the traumas and the things like that and feeling like you don't measure up and the consistency of having to feel like you got to prove yourself for everything. And then, yep. you know, I don't know if you, you ever went through that is trying to struggling for trying to make up for lost time and shit yep. like that. Right. Yep. Just, you know, the, the whole yep. thing I said in a nutshell. Yeah. I've been going through some uh, stuff on my, people pleasing and stuff here lately looking at it uh I've made some changes in my life in the last month or so as a result of that just to because uh nothing happens if nothing happens right i gotta do some more do some course correction and if this course correction is not the way i find it's not right i'll course correct back i, I never burn anyway. anything behind me i can't go back and uh you know and it's it is this it, the book says that too man this is this is not an overnight matter. It's, nope. it's it's for your lifetime. You know, and that's the thing, you know, it, it, I take you back to the divorce and everything, you know, my, my divorce had, or my marriage had basically been loveless and over for about, like I said, 12 to 14 years. And I was just basically in it for the kids. And, you know, the more I practiced the program and that, that one thing just kept sticking out to me is what, what are you willing to do? How far are you willing to go to protect your sobriety? Mm -hmm. And I kept trying to hang in and I kept trying to hang in. And the day that the words were spoken to me, as coarse as you want to be, was I don't like who you've become. You are just like you were before without the alcohol. 
And I went, wow, I really don't need to be here anymore. Yep. And that was it. You know, it surprises knew- me how many times that happens of a couple like in this situation, and I don't know if this your situation is this, but just using it, that a man and a woman are married and she's been after the man to stop drinking, stop drinking, stop drinking. And then he does. And the, and the relationship falls apart. Yep. You know, he gets well. And uh, I don't, I've heard it said a few different ways. She's always had to, you, uh, not, not you, but the dude was always the project that she had to focus on, focus on, right. focus on. And now you're not, doing that anymore and i gotta figure out some other way to beat you up and how was it how it was explained to me from a a very close family friend was you took the martyrism away yeah as long as the role could be played and you were doing what you were doing all of the attention was here when you straightened out and you got everything going, the attention became 50-50 and then it started to swing. Well, first it was more on you because of what you were doing. And when you got to that point, then it swung back to 50-50 and the martyrism was removed yeah. and the boy they put didn't, it. didn't have the spotlight anymore. Right. And I went, wow, that's kind of profound. Yep. And, and that... Um... Playing, so, a vi- playing a victim and, you know, look what I have to deal with. And yeah, yep, the martyr martyrdom. So, but again, that's past history. Yep. I have, I have a woman that loves me for who I am and what I am and what I stand for and has entrusted me with her life, her children's life. And who would have thought in the midst of all of the the darkness and the bullshit that I was involved with that I would ever be standing where I'm standing today. Yeah, no doubt, man. And just to reiterate, it is not a blame game, but the book tells me I'm to look at causes and conditions and I'm to look at yep. what my past, if I'm not analyzing my past at some level, then I'm doomed to repeat it. That's it. And so I have to look backwards and back there and, uh, and, and we're not blaming people. That's not what it look. That's not what it is. No, we are one of my biggest miracles. One of my favorite <laughs> phrases is he who does not learn from history is deemed to repeat it. Yep. That's exactly right, Brian. Exactly right. Well, man, I have appreciated getting to know you better. Uh, I don't, there's some, I get all juiced up, you know, when when we do this, you know, and we talk, you know, it take me a while, come back down and I just love doing it. And I love hearing people's stories and, and, uh, this helps me participate. You know, I'll have a little thing. I'll say it in a minute when I close, but, uh, a guy had shaking his finger. And when I was doing that dude diving around and not really doing this serious, I say, you know, it, at some point I pushed all my chips to the middle of the table, but for a long time, I was just kind of anteing up, you know, I wasn't, wasn't really all the way there. And, uh, and he was, he kind of, you know, proverbial old timer shook his finger in my face and said, Dan, the thing is you must participate in your own recovery. Yep. And, uh, and today this is like, uh, I think, higher power of God all the time for all these cool ways I get to participate in my recovery, these unique ways to, to uh, carry this message through this. And um, it just is, it's, it's, it's more miracles. That's what, that's a bottom line. What I say about these things that happen in our lives. Uh, somebody else can say there's something else, but to me, they're miracles when you catch cancer and then get over it and uh, repair all the body parts you've had repaired and whether if you were sick or not, that's when he was, that's when you were the only one set of footsteps in the sand, you know? And, uh, yep. 
Well, I certainly appreciate you. You got any closing thoughts before we sign off here? And when I end, don't leave real fast. Don't close it, but I'll just stop recording in a minute. No, you know what? I just, I really appreciate you bringing me on here and everything. Uh, And it's been a long time since I've been able to sit down and share, you know, pretty much any other than just a little bit of table talk here and there, but uh, just to be able to sit down and unload it. And honestly, uh, no shit. I feel like some sort of a weight has been removed a little bit by sitting down and uh, it's cathartic telling this out here again and you know i i don't know who listens but you know uh to the podcast uh i hope darren does darren god love you man i hope hope you're okay uh i miss you and we need to reconnect soon uh brian uh if you're out there uh i know we keep up with each other on facebook love you like you i mean he's my little brother we got thing one and thing two Uh t-shirts uh bought for him a long time ago and uh brother i I love that yeah, I love you. I love Nancy to death and, and Kevin. Oh, my God. Uh, hug Kevin for me. Tell him I miss him. And uh, Chris, if you're listening, I miss you, man. And I owe you my life. I thank you for everything. And all, that's all I got. That is great, man, because that's going to uh, tickle some people. Pink People like to be mentioned in the podcast, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who all is. You know, I don't know Billy and them. There's a lot of people who listen. You know, I, I don't know who all listens, right? It's like a radio station. You don't know. Exactly. I, I get a lot of listens, and uh, it's more than my five or six buddies I run around with. For a while, it seemed like it was only that, but it grew. Uh, but yeah, if it had, honestly, if it hadn't been for them guys out at Trinity, you know, Bob, Billy, you know, Frank, uh, I don't know if you know Frankie or not, uh, Frankie M. Uh, Frankie was my sponsor as I left town and came down here and, you know, Coleman, uh, those guys, uh, it took a village. I promise you that it took a village for this one. To first get this first word and the first step. <laughs> you we, know, yep. we it took a village for this to get this idiot where he was supposed to be. Yep. I can't stay sober, but we seem to be able to. That's it. But Dan, I really do. I, I appreciate the invite. And uh I don't know how we didn't cross paths, you know, out there before now, but uh I'm glad we did. Yeah, me too, man. I really, really enjoyed it. Um more miracles, man. I just I feel like I got a, every time I do this, I feel like I got a new friend. And I can't have too many soldiers standing side by side when we're walking this deal. Well, I will say this. You do have my phone number, brother. If anything hits you, you need it. All you got to do is call. I appreciate that. Same here, man. Same here. So when I started out in the beginning, I said, uh, when something's working, I keep doing it. And uh, there's two things I say at the end of this podcast every single time. And one of them is, if you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault. Yeah, yes. you need to work harder <laughs> participate it. and then i thank everyone for allowing brian and me to participate in our recovery in this manner tonight peace out <laughs>